Hello, this is Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. And I'm JP. And no Joe this week. JP, where is he? He is um, doing a holiday to Scotland oh, this okay. week with his, with his, with his fiancée. So he's, he's gone up there, I think today, she was up there a few days earlier. Um, yeah, so he's been dossing. I think he's been able to watch a lot more of the G1 this year, but it's probably going to get a bit difficult from now until Friday. So was there two shows now? So yeah. yeah, he might struggle a little bit with those. Yeah, did he go uh, in search of Jeff Jarrett or and then found Kashida? Is that why he's gone to Scotland? <laughs> uh, oh, I should have got him a ticket for <laughs> Shug's house party. Uh, that's Two days of it. He'd have loved it. Um, and as you just heard, we've uh, drafted in uh, the Irish... I was going to say the Irish legend, but I'll say the other Irish legend with JP being oh. on the call. Uh, post wrestling. He's zone. a real Irish legend. <laughs> we've got Jamesy on. Uh, you missed British wrestling experience this week on Post, Jamesy, so we, uh, we got you in here to fill Joe's shoes. Ah, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Um, probably my favorite podcast at the moment. The first podcast that goes to the top of my list every time it drops on a Monday or Tuesday. So, oh, yeah, you. really happy to be here. Um, Absolutely. I was thinking. I was thinking about, and I'm going to have to throw in analogies here because I'm, I'm filling the boots of the king of analogies and El Rev Joe there, you know. <laughs> and I was trying to think of an analogy for me stepping in here. And I think the best one I could come up with was Kurt Angle stepping into the shield. <laughs> when <laughs> he wore the full garb as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You call on call on the old call on the old veteran to step in there, and we, we'll see if he still got it. See if he can still mix it with the younger guys. <laughs> Sat there in a grapple hoodie. Uh, amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I thought if we brought you on, we could just spend the first hour talking about Glemro and talking about Waterford and hailing. Uh, <laughs> I've expected that's that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> Did you see the match, JP? Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> oh yes. Go on, I JP. Even, I even How made sure it? Benno, I, mate. I've even put it into into that Irish stuff folder. You'll yeah. notice. You sent me it's a link been today. Updated. Yes, I, I, got, I did. I got a link on my Facebook Messenger to, to the to the to big hailing game from the weekend. Like I, I oh, thought yeah. it might have been a mistake, but did you genuinely want me to watch it? Yeah, it's the I Sunday game, mate. No. If you're going to watch two games, if you're going to watch like a game of hurling to get you started off, watch that Wexford Tipperary game because that was that was something else as well. And the first semi final on the Saturday between uh, uh, Limerick and Kilkenny. Yeah, great stuff, okay. mate. You'd love it. Give it a go. I believe best it. match I saw this weekend. Jesus, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just to give the listeners an idea, I disappeared to let the cat out before, and I came back to JP telling James's entire life story about Waterford and. Some castle in <laughs> Ireland, and yeah, I, I kind of feel like I should just give you guys the floor to catch up on the old country, JP. Yeah, exactly, mate. You're, you're coming in here with your with your British ways, trying to, <laughs> you know. I, and I've been operating a sort of stealth campaign over the last couple of years, just effectively turn this into somehow a League of Ireland Irish sport, Irish popular culture podcast. Nice. And with Jamesy's here to help me take it over, so. Good work, Jamesy. <laughs> to be fair, fair to Jamesy, it's the other way around. We dragged you onto the British wrestling experience, and uh, can't, I, I, I worry that have we sullied your name with the Irish? Do you get away with it? Do you get funny stirs when you go to ODT now? It's hard to know. Like you know, it's. Um... I don't think I'll ever get as bad a reaction as you guys got from OTT that time. On, do you remember that? <laughs> oh, that was when JP when, jumped on post. Oh, that one. Yes. When, what was it? You, you posted a you posted a 
a link to a show, and it was it was Devlin was on it, wasn't he? Or an interview with Devlin or something like that. Yeah, it was a. It was a and they took great umbrage to the fact that it was British wrestling experience, and they were really angry and said, "Oh well, we are an Irish wrestling company," and did the little flag emoji. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Devlin's a you know the, a big guy in NXT UK. Ah, it's fine. You know, it, it, it all it is is we can't think of a better name like. If we had like the British Irish wrestling experience, maybe that would work. But then we cover Germany as well. Yeah, uh, Germany and Spain as well. Yeah, that's it. It's kind yeah, of why we, we dropped we, the British on this show, isn't it, JP? Well, exactly. And I think now British wrestling experience—it sounds a bit Brexity. Let's be honest. <laughs> this, it really is. That's yeah. the test, James. British. Would you wear a T-shirt that said British wrestling experience with a flag on it? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Not if I ever wanted to go back to my home county again. I'll be honest, I, I don't think I'd get away with it in Liverpool, never mind Ireland. <laughs> it sounds a bit Tory, to be honest. Oh, that's a, Yeah. Uh, oh god it does. What's uh, oh. so have you have you come like like uh, prepared with all the all the Glamro references for us, James? I genuinely don't even know what that is. Like I, I just hear the name um from the irish law was it is it a popular thing is it is it is it the equivalent of eastenders it's probably the irish equivalent have Mm. you ever seen it jp i have but not for a long time my aunts used to always watch it the last thing i saw was fair city Ah, okay. Glen Rowe was, it's not, it's it's finished now, like it hasn't yeah. been on air in, in maybe, Jesus, it could be 15 or 20 years, like, so it was, it was always, it's, it's a, it was a weekly soap opera set in rural Ireland, um, and it used to be on every Sunday night, mm. and like, it, it wasn't that good, but, 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 but the only good thing about it was, it was on at 8.30 on a Sunday night, so you could kind of, you could ask to be allowed to stay up to watch it to get an extra half an hour out of the weekend, kind of. You know, you, you know the way. You know where you had your maths homework and your English homework oh, still yeah. to do, sitting upstairs, and you were like, "Oh, I don't want to go up and do that. I, I'll sit through this rural soap opera just to so, squeeze another so half an hour." So it's Irish heartbeat, basically. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it was happening yeah. on Sunday nights as well. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's same same yeah. routine. Mum and dad trying to get me to go in the bath. You know, whole thing. And I all wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to. I just. I just pretend I wanted to watch Heartbeat just so I wouldn't have to go to sleep. <laughs> Sounds like the same thing. Yeah, my mum loved Heartbeat as well. She was obsessed with that guy, Greengrass. Oh, that old like the homeless guy. Was he homeless <laughs> or he's just dead scruffy? Yeah, village bum kind of wasn't he? Yeah, mm. God, he's proper scruffy. He was, yeah. wasn't he? Mm. The fingers cut off the gloves, and for me, for me, it lost something when Nick Berry left. That was because my mum, I think, she really liked Nick Berry. She might have bought that song. I think he did, which might have been "Every Loser Wins." Mm. I could be wrong about that. That he recorded. <laughs> yeah, Nick Berry. He was a thing for a while. I'm going to check this <laughs> yeah. out. <laughs> oh god yeah you, have, you need to lock that up um i, I could imagine yeah, every like... every loser wins yeah. <laughs> so there we go we got our outro music as well set already so the title is <laughs> going to be ask glenn glenn Rowe, and the music's going to be that perfect we just need something else sorted <laughs> uh we, we we need to get in some sort of well we've got soap stuff done haven't we at the minute mm, yeah yeah so I'm trying to think of it's well we're going to save the Jay White stuff for obviously much later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think on the on the grapple spotlight bingo we're doing pretty well at the minute. Yeah, Good work, James. <laughs> oh, actually, roast dinners and, and fry ups. Oh no, 
Oh, shame, right. shame, shame on your nation for that fry up that was put in front of Mako Satamora <laughs> last weekend. Yeah, it that was, was just no wonder, nice. no wonder Joe doesn't like fry ups if that's the kind of food you're eating over there. I, I believe it was a Red Wings special, like the Red Wings Lodge, and it's like a fake travel lodge in Wolverhampton. I've stayed there a couple oh. of times. I believe that's the standard breakfast. I was listening to the Ogdens uh, on their podcast, um, and they were kind of, they were saying that apparently if you get a large, you might get two sausages if you're really lucky. <laughs> Um, that yeah, that's according looking. to Graps and Claps don't blame me oh my god did, did Mako look in any way queasy when she was in the ring on whatever day it was you were there Sunday she, she looked okay she looked well rested she seemed to enjoy it I think maybe she just liked the novelty of it it was just like yeah th- th- this just must be what all the Brits eat yeah. that's a terrible thing though isn't it I mean I've, I've heard about a lot of gaijin wrestlers complaining about Japanese food hmm. they're not being served up shite like that <laughs> there's more just like something's lost in translation rather than I'm going to expressly serve you something that looks fucking vile. Mm. <sighs> Honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if if when she was at Sendai as well, she would have been like, oh, Jesus, that was a struggle. <laughs> I think she's over <laughs> enough, though. She's don't over. Don't go into too much detail. But, <laughs> she yeah. comes over here so much, she must like it. Do you reckon she's just a fan of, like, Wolverhampton Potworld or the Gifford? Or There must be a reason she keeps coming back. There's that place you can get a baguette and chips for one ninety nine, which is too cheap. It's far, <laughs> far, far too cheap. Is this in it just makes you think in Wolverhampton. It makes you just think what's wrong. It's out of one of the the shopping centre there is is quite incredible. Mm. It's like the anti centro. So you go to the centro and it's like, geez, like a mini Westfield in here. The centro near the Turban Haller for WXW. Ah, oh, no, the one in Wolverhampton. There's just a point where there's nothing in it. And you're just walking through what appears to be some sort of set out of 2001, a space odyssey. And then you're outside, a couple of crackheads, and then you can get a, bit, a, big, a baguette and chips for one ninety nine. Yeah, which wasn't great as well. There's many other things about Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton that are, yeah, it's a bit odd if you walk around it. <laughs> yeah, have you ever been to Wolverhampton, Jamesy? Have you ever been over to a Fight Club Pro Show? No, and I most likely never will, to be honest oh, with you. Blackpool, you done that? <laughs> Blackpool's on I've our been list. To Coventry. Oh, Coventry. I've okay, been to Coventry. Fine. What do you mean, yeah, Coventry? Yeah, oh, was that the Sky Dome? No way, yeah. The, the, the Noah show when Kabashi and Misawa came over. Oh, of course. That's fair enough. It, that's also yeah, a dump, though. It was nice. Um, Misawa in Coventry, in and of yeah. itself, seems like yeah. an unusual thing. He was in Farringdon down the road from here as well. On a show that Mark had, on that same tour, they did a second show, didn't they? Mm. And Mark Haskins promoted it. Ah, that's right. In, in the community centre, kind of a really that's small right. one. In yeah, Farringdon, and I couldn't yeah. get to it, and I was gutted because he was like twenty miles away, and my children were very small, <laughs> and I was kind of seething because I thought I could have gone to see Masawa down the you road. Didn't, you didn't drag them there, JP. Uh, they would have been like sort of six months and two years old. It would have been funny going up to see Masawa. I'm sure he would have like completely loved having a couple of screaming uh, children having a go at him in a community hall in Oxfordshire. (laughs) Uh, Will Cooling does it, so I think you can get away with it. Uh, Mm. How are the kids, JP? You dragged them anywhere else this weekend? I, uh, I We've sort of been out and about on our bikes when it's been nice, apart from the odd day where it's completely lashed it down as well. Watching you on the bikes as well with like your phone. Dave, Dave watched it. Uh, we're going to talk Pickham's probably quite extensively <laughs> later on. But they've, since my interest has kind of gone up as well, and they've seen the sort of intensity, and then hear me muttering about it should be for 16 grand, this really. <laughs> like, and I explain it to them. And they're like, 
is that legal? It's like probably not. But <laughs> so they've they've had a bit of that, and then I took them to see Oxford versus Fulham in a pre-season friendly. <laughs> on the hunt for big tone, or bit of both. I won't lie. Went along because it was it was only down the road and it was really cheap to go in. One one in the end for those who are, those who are curious. It was a. Uh, Fulham started off well. Second half, all those substitutions in those friendly games sort of kills the game. Okay. Patrick Knockhart at Brighton, he's gone on loan to Fulham. He was there. He was possibly the class player of the evening. I digress. But I did have a look around for Tony Khan. And that night, I was wearing my Kenny Omega t-shirt, slightly deliberately thinking, <laughs> maybe maybe in the conference suite or something, he's outside and he's like, oh, hello. And then before you know it, we're chatting. I'm telling him, look, Mate, sort your fucking pre-show out. Mm. Sort out as well the heel authority <laughs> figures, all right? We'll meet up at a Rev Pro show, and then basically I'll get your mid, under to mid card sorted out. Yeah. yeah. Get, Didn't get, happen. He wasn't there. You could have talked to him out of the authority figures. He made the false promise to Joe that that, that uh, there weren't going to be any in AEW, and instead, James, we've got about 27 of them. Uh I don't know. What do you make of AEW so far, James? Yeah, I haven't really talked to you about that because we tend to just talk about the British stuff on it, on it, on post. I've kind of been all over the place in AEW. Like when it was announced first, and and the talent that was on it became apparent. I was kind of a little bit down on it because there's not a lot of people on the roster that I'd go like that would be my type of wrestling, I suppose, and the people that I would go out of my way to watch their matches and that kind of thing. But um like we talked about the first show on uh, the BWE, like I got swept up in it. Um mm. uh, really enjoyed the show. And these last two shows have kind of brought the doubts back again. You know what I mean? And I, I think my biggest doubt about them is too many cooks basically. Like mm. it seems like seems like like who is actually at least in WWE you know who's in charge whether he's you know at least there's one guy at the top making decisions here it seems like there's a lot of people making decisions and as a result it feels like how do you just like what they are as a promotion seems very diluted because they're trying to do a little bit of everything and they're trying to fulfill everybody's idea like they're trying to do being the elite stuff Mm. yet at the same time they're presenting themselves as as a, as wrestling as a sport and they're going to have win-loss records and that kind of thing and it's like I think a lot of the ideas they have are maybe a little bit naive like that win-loss thing I don't I don't know how realistic that is to actually do in wrestling and if it was a realistic thing to do surely someone would have done it by now you know mm. um, so yeah as I said I, 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 like, I think they are a great thing for the wrestling business um, I will be very interested in seeing what direction they go in but I don't know if I'll sit down and watch the TV week in, week out. Like, it, it would take a very, very, very special TV product and one that's very much tailored towards my taste in wrestling to actually make me sit down in 2019 and watch two two hours of TV every week. Mm, that's the thing, isn't it? Two hours. Like, yeah. that's... Like, I struggle now. Like, the amount of weeks, like, like JP's heard me say, and I say it before we launch the show, I'm going to catch up on some MLW this week because it's a really yeah. good TV show. I want to catch up on Impact because, for its faults... You know, cut out some of the crap and it's a good, let's say, 90-minute TV show, maybe not quite two hours, and I never get to them, ever. Like, gone are the days where I'll stay up till four in the morning watching Raw on a Monday night. There isn't really a weekly show I watch every week, and yet, I don't know if you're the same, JP, obviously they announced, you know, TNT, you know, made it formal, um... That the date that mm-hmm. the debut is coming up, and you know they're going to be hoping for a for a big crowd for that. Um, it's a big arena, isn't it? There's a capital in Washington D.C. The capital Capital One That's Arena, right. huge place that they're going to have to now fill for this big TV. That's a question for for me. Like how they're gonna 
how it's, this is going to look weekly. Can you can you run big venues like that every week? And can genuinely you you keep up like the the modern wrestling fans' interest every week with a, with a two hour show? Because I don't know, yeah, as as Jamesy alluded to there, and we've kind of been the same, haven't we, JP? That like we started mm. really excited about AEW. I'm still very excited about AEW, but like as we've seen more of them and we've seen more pay per views. I'm just I'm starting to get very much more pessimistic and yeah very interested in what the, the this TV show eventually does look at, look like now that we know it's two hours. Yeah, to a degree, I'm obviously still very very curious to see what the TV show is like. Hmm. I'm kind of they still haven't ironed out some of the issues that they're sort of three shows in and then you've got all out and it doesn't seem to be another announced show until that second of October mm. show. So at that point, really all out, are they going to have fixed the issues with, you know, things like the heel authority figures, Jamesy, you mentioned it before, and it's been something that's bothered me that there isn't the kind of clear vision for what this is. Mm. And frankly, wins and losses seems like it'd be a complete anathema to, um, what the rest of, of what mm. the kind of stuff they're doing. Cause some of it's quite goofy. And wins and losses suggests a kind of level of seriousness, like you're trying to treat it like a sport. Mm. And that doesn't work. That wouldn't work there at all. So it, it, the, the kind of idea and the potential of what it is, of, of what the potential of what it could be, is kind of actually for what it is at the moment. It does feel like, you know, last couple of shows that not my interest is waned, but I'm a lot more concerned about it because I wouldn't want them to start if they start doing silly things on that debut show because I have to make a real impression. And you talk about selling it out. You talk about fourteen thousand seat arena on a Wednesday night mm. during which it's term time as well. So bringing kids along in Washington D.C., which I don't know how much of a wrestling city that is, mm. but you kind of would have thought there would have been somewhere else they could have potentially gone to, but. Anyway, I think it's um, isn't that the arena where is that where Sting Goldberg happened? I'm sure I read that somewhere. Like, there's a lot of like I can't remember what it used to be called the arena, but there's a lot, there are a lot of memorable wrestling moments there. But given you know, years ago, yeah, it's yeah. not like I think the rumor wasn't it, JP, that it was going to be like a, a New York or you know, somewhere on the east coast where there's a heavy population of hardcore, like basically run that ring of honor loop that the, they can't sell out in anymore with basically the wrestlers that used to sell it out. I would have expected it yep. to be something like that, yeah, for a hot first show. Because, yeah, midweek, yeah. those AEW fans Billy, have Boston. got a lot of money, but my God, yeah, a Wednesday in Washington, bit of an odd one. But yeah, I mean, I, I do, I share both your skepticism on the on the wins and losses thing. It's very um, Gabe Sapolsky, isn't it, Jamesy? It's very, it's like the type of thing. I think he tried it like three yeah. different times in Evolve, tried it in Ring of Honor back in the day. It never works. It just never comes off. Um, but I don't know if they get a hot start. I mean, speaking of Gabe era ROH, CM Punk could be there. You know, that could be a thing. He did that, uh, an interview this week. Um, I don't know what you both made of all this, where he was basically saying that... Uh, They've only been texting him, and he's kind of. I think he said he texted. I think it was Nick, one at Nick or Matt Jackson, wishing them luck with the uh, the first big AEW show. And then he said that kind of turns into Tony Khan and interviews, acting like they're all best mates with CM Punk. Uh, and he's, he basically said that mm. yeah, he had he had an offer from. I think he said it was via Cody, just via text. Uh, and he kind of spun that normal line he does about come see me in person. I mean, either these are really really bad businessmen. 
or does it work in here somewhere? That's kind of my life feeling on it. Like, surely they would have tried to have met up with Punk by now. Surely Cody Rhodes doesn't believe what he was spilling out on Twitter this week, saying that he, he thought that maybe Punk might just go back to WWE instead. That was a big red herring for me, I don't know. Uh, I'm still quietly confident that uh, CM Punk, considering he's going to be there you know, for StarCast anyway, shows up, on that, shows up at All Out and then shows up on the TV going forward. Yeah, I, I, I do think he will go there eventually. Um, I, I don't know about the first show, but it's just, it's wrestling. Mm. And mm. they all come back in the end, don't they? And I do think it would take a lot for him. Like, he, he he's we know from the various things that we know of him over the years, he is an extremely stubborn man to, mm. to the point where it's, it's been damaging to him and his reputation and has lost him some, some very close and dear friends, you know. Um, so I, I don't know if him going back to WWE w- will ever happen, but I feel like he'll end up there at some point. As I said, mm. I, I don't know about this as soon as this, but like you, Ben, I, I, I smelt a bit of a rat with, with the tone of, of that interview and like, he was talking as if he was a little bit exasperated by them. Mm. The way he, he was, it was like, he was like, these guys have been annoying me by text message almost, you know what I mean? Mm. And just, it just didn't seem like the thing you would say, you know what I mean? I think if, 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 if it was a no, he's the kind of guy who would just say, no, I haven't mm. heard from them. You know what I mean? And mm. no, I'm not interested, but like, and I believe at the very end of that interview, there was a kind of a never say never kind of a thing put in there by him as well, you know? So, mm. um, I don't know how soon he'll come back, but I do think like he will be there for all we know. He's been there already under the masks of that, <laughs> the super smash brothers. That'd be very CM Punk to have already been there for all we know. But, um, yeah, I, I do think the punky punk in AEW is a thing that will happen at some point in the future. Yeah. What do you reckon, JP? What's the odds on it? Uh, it's happening, I think. <laughs> yeah, last week, I was quite sceptical. I was like, I was very unsure because there's always this kind of sincerity. After this week, it's just like, yeah, this just feels like an angle. And I'm assuming they won't. I mean, if you're wanting to make a splash, if they're really wanting to make a splash, who is that one person who is going to be able to kind of really turn the dial for them out of the gate, um, who there is hasn't been overexposure for, and it's really him. Mm. He is kind of the one. And for all of the difficulties of working with him, he's incredibly popular. So it would seriously move the dial. If you're if you're doing, let's say, that first show on October on sorry, yeah, October 2nd, you know and you've got CM Punk on it in his first match, that's going to be something. And it also would probably help sell that building as well. So is it is it a money thing? Is it the case of the stuff? You know, if he didn't do it, at the same time, I wouldn't be that surprised because, like you say, Jamesy, he's so stubborn. Mm. This is not a bloke. I mean, God, Benno, you know yourself, he's stubborn when he was giving out and in fact you would have been there Jamesy on that when he was with Ring of Honor and he's on the tours about giving autographs and photos Duh. is that right I remember seeing, but, seeing him turn down Green Lantern fan just because it was Green Lantern yeah. fan though which is fair enough but, to be honest it's Green yeah, Lantern fan but that's but you had your track you had, normal fan. <laughs> but I think I think Benno had his magic track suit on so <laughs> I think <laughs> Look, I look good in that thing. It was head to toe and ring of honor garb. Come on, mate! I'd kill for it now. This, well, I wouldn't. I don't know. I would kill for it. But it's got a hell of a retro item. It feels like a 
you know, somebody doing a run in on a show should be wearing it. <laughs> I think I think that's sell the it thing. to Blue Ray. Punk just looked at me and just thought I you just had pity on me and took a photo with me because I was head to toe in Ring of Honor Garb. You need to do that to uh, to get in with Punk, but yeah, he is a very stubborn man. I mean he's suing slash being sued by his best friend right now. So fuck knows yeah. like what his actual mindset is when it actually comes to coming back. Does the fact he's still under contract to UFC make a difference, I wonder? Mm, that is the thing, yeah. I mean, he, he seemed to, like, in that interview, he was like, I think I am. Like, they're still testing me, so I assume I am. But, like, yeah, yeah I could see. I don't know whether they, they'd cut him or let him do it anyway. Yeah, I, I could see him get, being able to get... If he really wants to do it and the money was good, I, I could see him getting out of that easy enough. Maybe the country would be the bigger barrier. I was going to say, I, th- I think they would they would let him do it. Because I think it would enhance his name. And if they only have probably only one more fight on that deal, because he's had two with them now at this stage. So if he had one more, then it might be worth something. In, if they were going to do a sort of like bit of a freak show fight, mm. then they might do something with Punk. I, I Like whether or not they bring him in. But if he's on AEW and he's sort of, sort of in the public consciousness, it might attract some people over. They might see some value in it. Mm. Yeah, maybe it could work. Um, tell you, does see value in it though as well. Uh, Vince McMahon, he's shook, guys. I mean, I don't know if either of you listened to that conference. I was in work four o'clock on Thursday, as I do every quarter. They're desperately trying to get to listen to that thing. I always put myself in the queue and, and try and ask a question, and they always ignore me. Um, it's probably because <laughs> I probably because I put my company down as Grapple, and I used to put it down as Indie Corner. So I, I think I just get a get bumped off that. They never they never answer any of the, any of the chat room questions. Uh, but I was listening to that, and yeah, Vince McMahon in very un-Vince McMahon-like fashion, bringing up AEW more than once there, referred to them as a potential competitor and then basically called them a blood and guts promotion more than once uh if, if that's if the stuff at the hall of fame and then if the the other references to aw you know the sammy zay reference the other raw didn't tell you already they're on vince's radar and that's a that's a very very interesting thing that he's uh, reacted in such a way it's fucking hilarious <laughs> like vince vince wound up is is actually quite funny and i think what's in what's interesting with this is is his kind of token goes to's in these situation oh you know he's david versus goliath narratives and stuff like that none of them work here and also i think you always want to think that in the back of his mind he realizes that he himself is a busted flush creatively but it does make you think like what there is no one else like very few people other than punk and i Honestly, to God, I think it's very unlikely he'll go back to WWE. I know it's wrestling, but that might be the one. That might be a, a bridge too far. But outside of that, there isn't really anyone else, anything else they can do. It doesn't feel like there's a uniquely hot angle they could go to or that they're going to create something that's going to generate the kind of interest that that they need in order to take in AEW as well. So, yeah, he's shook. Good. They should be. They should be made to at least answer questions and explain about the downturn, rather than making up bullshit excuses like super superstar absences. Was there a was there a rubbish reason this time round that he that he gave? I read. I sorry. There was there was a really good article that Brandon Thurston brought out, which was basically I didn't listen to the call, but a good summary of it. And the one funny thing that I saw in it was that he he, he kind of blamed the writers. Did you see that, Benno? Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. There was a question. There was a question put to him about would changing the writers help to kind of 
halt the decline. I don't know who asked the question, but he immediately seized on it and he, he was kind of talking about, you know, yeah, we get some young blood in. and It was immediately kind of saying that, yeah, the writing hasn't been good. So it's kind of, it's anyone but him, you know, the, the Q1 decline was, was injuries. Now he's talking about writers and mm. it's, 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 and like, it's, it's grim reading. Like, you know, if you, for them, if, if and, and no matter what way they spin it, like it's network subscriptions are down for the first time ever. Live attendance is down. Merch sales at live shows down, overall revenues down by 5%. Mm. The share value dropped by 25% since April. Mm. It was at $100, now it's at 74 We know about the TV ratings declining. And often the thing that, that people will say is, well, TV ratings, you know, people don't watch TV anymore. So WWE's ratings declining is, is symbolic of an overall decline in TV watching. But this article that I read actually pointed out that the decline in Raw and SmackDown numbers has been in double digits. And the overall decline in TV viewers has been in the low single digits. So they're declining faster than the average for TV. Mm. And a really interesting little tidbit that, that, that I found in, in, in another article was that, uh, and I don't know how true this is, but they kind of stated as fact that the BT deal was given on a steeper discount than the, uh, the BT deal over in, in the UK was given on a much steeper discount than Sky were, were, were getting. Interesting. So, um, yeah, very oh. interesting. Now, again, I don't know if that's speculation or fact, but it, it was put in this article pretty much as stated as fact, you know. Mm. And, you know, I'm not an economist or an accountant or anything like that. But from my very simplistic view of their finances, it's all masked by the fact that they have these huge TV deals that are going to be three or four times bigger than the last one mm. and this big influx of cash from Saudi Arabia. So mm. by all the normal metrics <laughs> that a business kind of looks at they're failing badly but because they have this kind of it's like they've won the lottery by getting this guy this saudi money and it's almost like nothing else matters but those things might not last forever you know and those tv deals if if numbers keep declining why would tv companies keep giving them so much money and the saudi thing like could stop as quickly as it started you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there's no guarantee of that in in the i know it's something like a 10-year deal they have but you can't rely on something like that you know what i mean and when all other business metrics are failing badly it's it's bad news you know yeah they're very careful to hide (coughs) stuff like that as well like the the saudi stuff kind of disappears into like the other section of the report and they're very careful about answering questions about it but then at the same time you know you mentioned the tv ratings being down that's one thing that's always stood out to me that they always they always have a graph comparing it to the overall you know fall on you know whichever channel you know in USA or or you know going forward it's going to be Fox but and like you say the decline is always worse for Raw and SmackDown and yeah. they, ma- they managed to mask it this time round because they kind of they were like oh yeah but it, it was up in July as well because of the Raw reunion show you know because they they yeah. dusted off Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and, yeah. and, and managed to you know shoot for a one-time rating which was like just the most they are clearly out of ideas thing ever um and again you can't do that every week either uh they try and cover cook corners i don't know mate they they often try a nostalgia fest every other week don't they (laughs) that's Mm. who all the big stars are aren't they it's like i i kind of said that i know it's a ridiculous thing to say and I, i understand even saying it now but it is still alarming like you know steve austin generational star comes out as like still 10 times the star of anybody on that TV show. And, you know, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin, so it obviously, but it has been 20 years. You'd think they might have made somebody, like, uh, made anybody on that show feel like they could be even in the same stratosphere. But no, you mm-hmm. don't. And, yeah, I suppose they can try and paper the cracks with stuff like that. They can paper the cracks with, you know, 
talk about Bischoff and Heyman. You know, mentioned creative there, Jamesy, and McMahon did mention that the the, the Heyman and uh, and Bischoff would come in to work as executive directors. But even then, when pushed, it was kind of like, well, you know, he kept saying, well, I won't be getting into the weeds, but you know, they'll have a they'll have a complete power, they'll have complete autonomy. Um, I'll just be you know dealing with the. I think he said something like the long term stories, and I was just sitting there listening, thinking that's the worst. That's the worst possible thing Vince McMahon could be involved with. Like, I, I, plus I don't believe him. Like, I don't believe either of those fellas, especially yeah. Bischoff, are going to have anywhere near the power that they're kind of pushing. And no. yeah, and I always find it, as much as I enjoy listening to these conference calls, it is frustrating being somebody who kind of follows it quite closely, just knowing that the, the, they're just pulling the wool over the investors' eyes and the, you know, the making up stuff about, you know, superstar absences and the, and they're trying to, you know, cover for it. And the, obviously, the, the, like you say, James, the TV ratings and the Saudi stuff are, are doing a good job as they can to kind of cover up all the other metrics. But yeah, uh, that can't last forever. Although I would say, although stock is overall down, apparently it did go up on the day. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe all the bullshit and the and the working um, did work, JP. Oh. They are mates with Trump after all. So, you know, misinformation is well, a very uh, powerful thing. I was going to say, I mean, one of the things with the Saudi deal that could end up threatening it is if, for example, there is a democratic president in 2020. You don't know then at that point, there might end up being some sort of sanctions against Saudi Arabia at that point. You know, there's lots of little potential political things that could completely ruin ruin that for them as well. But they're such bullshit merchants mm. when it comes to these conference schools. That's the overall takeaway. It's just, do they hang up the phone and just go, we've got away with it again? Can't <laughs> believe it. Can't believe these people are believing it. I wouldn't surprise me if he sat there in a fucking neck brace as well while he's there. <laughs> while, while he's in full bullshit mode. I mean... Yeah, he said, I listened to about five minutes of it and you hear him talking. It's just like, I, I don't think I can hear this guy talk for like, just lie for 45 minutes while he likes to pretend it's 1999 on a fucking loop. Uh. <laughs> uh, that's it. Uh, but that's it. That, come on, JP. They, they offer a very sophisticated product. They're not blood and guts. You know, he can't speak to, for TNT. Sophisticated. But <laughs> I love when he was like, oh, yeah, I, I can't speak for TNT, but I don't think they're going to put up with that. I assume, what do you think he saw? Do you reckon he just saw, like, Dustin and Cody in the blood spot? Or did he see the Cody Rhodes chair shot? Like, why does he think no. AEW is blood and guts wrestling? He probably saw bloody Born to be Wired on the WWE Network. <laughs> oh, it was the same fucking thing and just went, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. Don't hire these long-haired freaks in there. Um <laughs> The, yeah. the best thing about that is though like the, obviously the other news that got buried on that day or, or kind of they put it out was that they're going to be doing networked here and people have been searching on the network for uh, random things and have found a couple of ICW matches from uh, one of their fight club tapings so that's clearly going on there at some point he's going to have ICW on the network you know what I mean like if you were to talk <laughs> if you were to talk lowbrow entertainment sorry Scotland but Christ uh, th saying that though <laughs> we're talking about Vince McMahon who's probably never seen an episode of 205 live and it's definitely never seen an episode of nxt uk so you'll probably never see it jamesy i wish he would see an episode because if he did he'd probably cancel us <laughs> <laughs> and we'd all be much better it's, off we'd all be much better off exactly. there were all these midgets with beards yeah, he'd be freaked exactly. out they all look the same. he i mean i i would that's going to be one of the things that's going to be fascinating is it, if he somehow expects 
independent promotions to sort of formerly independent promotions to sort of turn his business around on the network. That's that's an interesting kind of perspective. Maybe ICW is the missing piece in all of this. Feels bad. We haven't had a go at them in, in quite some time. And I don't I don't know anything about how Kushida did at Shug's house party, just out of curiosity. What if they stick <laughs> no that on the bloody network? They should do. Him and Jackie Palo. <laughs> on the network. Uh... That's such a weird thing, isn't it? WXW might end up there as well. Obviously, they uh, on the same day they they announced they were dropping having the the entrance using the legitimate entrance music and stopping the the dubbing that they do on their VOD and having in house themes. I mean, it works it works so well for progress, so can't see a problem with that. Doesn't uh, doesn't <laughs> yeah d- does didn't make for good reading. Definitely made the uh, the conspiracy theorist in me think. Yep, they're ended up on the network. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about this just before we were going to start recording. Um, it feels sad. I, I've been sort of found myself sticking up for dubbing over the years, but and and it always felt like you kind of know that there's something else obviously behind this at the moment because they've been kind of quite reasoned and reasonable about why they've explained about the dubbing and the live experience. I liked it. It always felt like if I wanted the full WXW experience, I need to go over there, yeah. and that's kind of part of, part of the appeal. And you're going to kind of lose that because we're not going to be used to the themes. Yeah. It's It sounds like any defense of it from, I suppose, us would somehow feel somewhat hypocritical given that we've given progress a load of grief mm. over the music. I will say that WXW have been better when they've sourced non-copyright stuff. Like there's something that they've been a bit more extensive about rather than using the hot tag media stuff and mm. just that. And it depends if they've got a number of sources, how are they going to introduce it? How is it going to become sort of part of the, the oh, lexicon? Come on, JP. Yeah. They're, going to, they're going to be using those tribal bump drums for Ilya, and we all know it. We're getting the yeah. NXT UK themes. I mean, yeah. That's where my heart will absolutely sink at that mm. point. Yeah. Then, then you kind of know, oh, God, it's over. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's, it's like the, the thing that... My heart always sinks when I realize that a promotion has kind of gone in with WWE, you know, um, and like I never particularly blame the promotions because if you own a promotion and WWE start making overtures and you turn them down, like they do make life extreme. Like look at RevPro, they, they yeah. make life extremely difficult for you. You know, every mm. time RevPro seem to build someone up, they're whisked away almost straight away. You know what I mean? So yeah. You know, and it is probably good for business at the gate to go in with WWE. Like, I mean, you know, having NXT, you know, we mightn't like the idea of NXT UK stars being on shows, but they do sell tickets for people, you know, oh, and yeah. Tag League and Cars, Progress, especially Cars last year. Progress so, creatively ended up awful, and it has been for a couple of years, but their biggest, like, boom as yeah. far as sales go, tickets-wise, and as far as worldwide popularity it was the exposure that the british strong style got on wwe tv they wouldn't be the big stars they were in progress without that yeah exactly but like to to me my heart sinks because it's the minute you hear it happening i feel like the soul of the promotion just slowly gets eroded away like like the first thing that happened was shotgun was taken away and like my my honest belief about that isn't it is that that wasn't a wxw decision i think that was something coming from WWE not wanting them having a weekly TV show going out there when they had their own ones, you know, or, or they're going to be going on the network at some point so it would become redundant, you know. Um, and 
the music, the music was hugely important. Like, you know, we remember progress, like how important to them that music was. Like, but you look at the champion, Bobby Guns, like if he didn't have the team tune, he did that chanting would never have started. And if the chanting never had started, I think Bobby Guns would probably still be in the WXW mid card. I mm. think he was a guy they thought a lot of, but yeah. It, it was the thing that kind of pushed him over the edge and kind of probably accelerated his rise to the top in WXW. And the one I always think of is Carrot last year. Like, can you imagine that moment when Walter speaks into the microphone and says three-way dance and Ilya Dragunov came out with that magnet? Like, that was the first time I heard it. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, it was the first time I heard his team tune in person, like, and it's, it, it'll, it'll stay with me forever, that that, that uh, nearly an out-of-body experience, hearing that music blaring out and the place going wild. And it's not quite the same when you've kind of got this stock music playing in the background. You kind of lose a little bit of it, you know. So um, it's just when, when they get their claws into promotions, they kind of steal their soul a little bit. And it's just incredible. And like WXW is the most heartbreaking one for me because out of all the promotions they've gone in with so far, they're the one I've got the most personal affection for, you know. So mm. it's just incredibly sad, you know. And it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to take, you know. But at the same time, you can't blame the promotion because what do you do? If you're not with them, you're against them. And going yeah, against exactly. them, a small promotion going against them. Whatever about AEW going against them, there's a small promotion going against them. You can't win. Mm. Yeah. And if they went against them, you could see them doing stuff like running the Koenig Pilsner like the same weekend as something like Carrot would be on or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Like they yeah. could do a whole number of things. And it's, yeah. You'd sign you just... everyone away and stop them working there. That's, that's what they take. Yeah. They take Walter, they take all the top talents and that's exactly we we have we have hard evidence to prove that that's the way they work you know mm. and exactly and it's their modus operandi it's what they've always done it's a it's an interesting one with wxw i don't know necessarily from progress simply because they've got the separate companies so they have like the wxw sort of brand itself but also the television product is a separate separate company in the tape library so i i think that's possibly one of the one of the bigger differences and we were all saying we're all off to tag league this year. Um, really looking forward to it, obviously. But at the same time, looking at it with a sort of keen eye of, okay, what exactly is going to be ongoing here? Mm. What exactly is going to be going on? Or uh, you know, how how is it going to operate this time round? Mm. So, yeah. and there's tapings the same weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That NXT UK tapings happening yeah. that weekend, and Friday yeah, and Saturday. I, I mean, we should full disclosure: we're all going on press passes this year, aren't we, for Tag yep. League? Yep. And you know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're all in. You know, we, we all get along with the the people at WXW, but you you yeah. can't help but notice the difference. You know, we go to the press stuff, and they're not going to want to answer any questions about WWE. We get told outright they can't answer any questions about WWE. We're not going to be able to. Well, we can't film the entrances this time, apparently, which is a whole thing yeah. uh, for legal reasons, which just makes me even more suspicious. But they can't answer any questions about it. We could just be, you know, working ourselves into a shoot on all this. But unfortunately, you know, we're very open. They're a very open company, but you know, these are the types of things they can't answer questions on. So it does lead to to speculation. And yeah, we are. I think our problem is our brains can't help go into a negative place because we saw rapid yeah. progress. I mean. Again, I, I to go back to the music thing, like I wasn't I wasn't someone at the start who absolutely loved the dubbing on a VO on a VOD. I did kind of think, ah, you know 
I get it, but you know, you lose quite a bit on the VOD from what WXW is as a live experience. But then I saw progress and the awful, mm. awful creator themes and NXT UK themes that they've used over the years. And it was like, yeah, actually, WXW's dubbing was a was a much better uh, way of dealing with things and a much better way of doing it. And it's just, it just feels like suspect timing because the big thing is like, you know, you look at progress and they're the best example of it. Their VOD is not enhanced in any way by having the bad themes on it. If anything, you could just cut the entrances on progress shows at this point. And I just don't think, even if they pick the best, the best possible songs you can from, you know, that, 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 that long playlist on YouTube of, uh, of uncopyrighted music, <laughs> it's not going to be the same. And I don't think the VOD is going to be any better. And I don't think, you know, it's definitely going to hurt the live shows. They've got a rumble coming up for Christ's sake. It's going to hurt that. Oh yeah. What about yeah. the bad thing with that? Yeah. They, they're just, yeah, there's no, for me, there's no positive this. You can spin it as a positive, but I don't see it really. And I think the only, for me and pure speculation on my part, the answer is they're ended up on the network and that's maybe why we're worried. Or some shows will end up like the Evolve. Mm. I, I don't know if all these companies will have all their shows on the network, mm. but I think maybe it might be something like, maybe something like a tag league or a carrot would be live on the network or something like that. Yeah. Or, or they see it as an opportunity to, to put on live shows again against AEW because they kind of see AEW as being liked by the smarter crowd in inverted commas. So like they kind of think that maybe if we put, you know, the so-called hip indies up against them on live, you know, what they did with Evolve there the last weekend, yeah. you know. Um, mm. As I said, I, I don't think all of the shows of all these promotions will end up there, but I think they'll have one-offs and that kind of thing, or they'll put um, footage or something like that, or, or maybe footage of guys' older career, someone like an Alistair Black, they'll put some some mm. of his older matches and collections or something yeah. like that, you know. As far as good quality footage goes, I mean, you're not going to get it anywhere, any, anywhere better, are you, uh, than WXW? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose that Absolutely, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it does, it does make it very much a live product more than ever, I'd probably say, JP. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I think so. And and it's going to be sad. I mean, I, you bring back Shotgun. I, I kind of forget how much I've missed Shotgun. I didn't watch every episode of Shotgun, but it was great for just giving you the stories and, and just so you felt you knew what was going into the shows. You knew what you were going, uh, getting into rather than having to sort of go through all of the row two shows. And that's been something that they, that they've missed for, for quite some time, but it does make you think a, a weekly live show for it. Um, I wonder is the tiered structure of the network. Is that a definite thing? Yeah. Is that uh, they, definitely they, in place? They've outright said that, yeah, a free tier, the regular tier and a premium tier. Um, so yeah, we do know that's happening. Just, I think it's something that, but it's something they're going to be rolling out over time. It's not going to be something they're going to flick a switch on tomorrow. I think they said something like they were going to start with the free tier and then the premium tier will come later. Okay. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Progress on the network, JP, it's coming. It, I, I think it is. I think it is. I think they're going to, they're going to stuck it up because they see that as like, they look at audience segmentation and they see that we can attract this much money from this amount of sort of hardcore fans hmm. who, you know, and it's something that Joe always talks about wanting to see sort of like Ring of Honor's production quality upped, classic Ring of Honor uh, production quality. Get that great Ring of Honor documentary in there as well. <laughs> thing is that you put um, that you put that old Ring of Honor on the network, you'd have to cut the themes as well. And I don't know about you, James. But oh yeah, I don't want to watch Ring of Homicide with Homicide coming out to a generic uh, hip hop theme or Samoa Joe not having the champers here. There's all kinds of problems in that too. <laughs> I think another tactic that they have as well is is just to flood 
network subscribers with as much content as they can, mm. almost to kind of take your time up so much with watching what's on the network that you don't have time to subscribe to anyone else. You know, like if you think about how much actual content they put out a week, like between three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, two or five live, NXT, NXT UK, they're constantly putting specials out and now mm. they're going to have independent shows as well. I, I do think that that was a very blatant tactic of theirs in the last few years was just bombard people who have the network with as much content, mm. have something new coming out every day, hidden gems, something all the time. And it's, it's almost like there's only so many hours in the day. And, you know, I, straight away, my thought about AEW was I don't have time to watch this. And it's it's I wonder for how many fans is that a thing as well, where trying to keep up with all this other stuff, you just don't have time for any new companies, you know? Mm, yeah, I def- definitely think that's a tactic. And definitely think it's yeah. Indies by WWE is the is, is a big part of that kind of their game plan, that global localization that Triple H is always talking about. Um oh. But yeah, the, I think it's. I think there's always going to be fans like us trying to you know hunt down the alternatives. But yeah, I think even for us, you know, we've tried so many times. I've been BW Jamesy to keep up with NXT UK. And it's uh, <laughs> it's a slog, and by the end of two episodes of that, you don't really want to watch any more wrestling. So there's definitely no. <laughs> merit in what they're planning. Uh, I mean, briefly because there was one quick other news that I wanted to say before we go, but. Uh, you know, we mentioned then progress have got to be going on the network. You tie in the fact that allegedly, and we'll, re- we'll probably review the show in more detail on the forthcoming show that Aussie mm. Open look look to be saying goodbye according to a couple of reports. Uh, crashing out, no longer progress champions, tag team champions dropping the the tag belts to to, to you know the the, the uh, this great tag team that have uh, you know apparently left progress a few months ago. Um, not that anybody really noticed, because young vets. The, uh, the also coincidentally, James, I saw you put on Twitter. The NXT UK champions have mm-hmm. have now got the Progress Tag Belts. Walter is Progress World Champion. Aussie Open apparently. I, I know as people pointed a couple of times to Mark Davis, you know, outright saying that I think they're on one of their abroad shows and they are on the on the on the the big September show. But it felt like a bit of a goodbye to the, the ballroom from the reports that are read. Uh, mm. Do you think we're seeing a the, the completion of this uh, move to a, a different progress uh, now um, with the with the network potentially coming up? It does make you think. I know um, uh, Gadge, who's on Twitter as a I think it's Stopwatch Man. I want to mm. say is Gadge, who always does a lot of the timings and he does sort of live reports on the show as well. He's kind of convinced they're going to do a sort of NXT UK progress storyline where all of these titles get won back by what are considered progress wrestlers in order for them to kind of take the company back necessarily. I would, you know, in a kind of fantasy booking world, see that being the case, Mm. it makes me wonder are these some of the the first steps towards ultimately around a chapter hundred, there being some sort of like, right, we're going to move away from this now. Mm. That, that 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 might end up being the final way of closing it down, and it, and it just gets transported onto um, to NXT UK. It feels bleak. I'll reserve ru- judgment until I've seen the show itself. But my God, it feels bleak. Mm. Yeah, and there thoughts was on- no there was the timeline. Like uh, I suddenly remembered about half four on Sunday there was a progress show on. Like and you know I, I wouldn't always have it in my head when progress are running, but. You'd see people, you know, we all follow the same people on Twitter and you'd Mm. you'd see tweets from people going to the show and standing in the queue and tweeting the results out and that kind of thing. There was nothing on my timeline about that show. It was the least buzz I've ever seen for a progress show. And like, if you think about that, 
about that potential storyline that you mentioned there, JP. Who would the progress wrestlers be? <laughs> I'd be just right sitting here as you said it. I was racking my brain thinking, do not resuscitate. Connor Mills. <laughs> Connor Mills, <laughs> D- D- David Starr, who has never, to me, been a pro. He's been more no. of a Rev Pro guy and a WXW guy and even an OTT guy at this point th- th- than a progress guy. But like, th- that sounds like a decent storyline, but mm. you don't have progress guys because progress didn't build anyone up mm. over the last few years. Nope. They just stuck with British Stonk style in their main events when they had them. And when they left, they've had nothing left. Mm. There's nothing. They've built nobody up in years. That's kind of what Do Not Resuscitate against the motley crew of Haskins and Eddie Dennis and Mark Andrews, I think was supposed to be, wasn't it? Like, that was, like, the idea that the, the kind of, the, the old guard versus, like, the, the new blood, you know, the, the WCW, yeah. uh, the famous WCW story, um, and we saw yeah. how well that went, so, yeah. I think that, that that's the thing. I don't think, yeah, obviously, they're trying to get behind Michael Oku, and, you know, we are in a quote-unquote rebuilding phase, so I, I try and give them some credit, but yeah, when you look yeah. at that roster and you look at, you know, Aussie Open have been, the shows where they can't get the NXT UK guys, Aussie Open have been their headliner. So if they are gone, you know, similar to the problem with booking a feud like that, you're then left with the prospect of, hang on, who's in our main events? Is it, you know, is it Do Not Resuscitate? Is it Carter Bills? Is it hopefully Michael Oku if they can get behind him properly? Yeah, based on that that show that, that didn't sell out on Sunday, uh, yeah, the, the some of the possibilities are quite bleak. Uh, I suppose yeah. uh, linked to that, the one other thing I did want to mention before we do move on to what we've been watching is there was a bit of a, I don't know if you saw a bit of Twitter beef on the uh, the timeline between uh, <laughs> Mark Andrews being very gotten to again about uh, David Starr and the independent <sighs> stuff. Uh, he, he did some shitty tweet about how wrestling was much cooler apparently before uh, before people bragged about their charity work, kind of having a go at David Starr and the uh, and the uh, the uh, the independent lot and you know what they're trying to do with equity. Um, really, really, just I mean uh, to be honest, I would say wrestling was cooler before Mark Andrews put put together that shitty music video that came out this week uh, and before Mark Andrews and his mates completely sold out their defending the wrestling brand to go to be NXT UK schmucks but maybe that's just me <laughs> was, it a shot, was it a shot at Star or was it a shot at Eve I can't make out because Eve put up that thing um, only the day before about them becoming the first Which company is awesome. to get involved with equity mm-hmm. oh yeah 100% well, apparently um, Rover was saying so, that, that Attack were planning on doing that a couple of years and then it just never went anywhere so, and I mean, well, the Mark Andrews is the man behind Attack it's interesting you say that because that's one of the things, this is going back a while, me and Joe went to the ITV World of Sports screens. We interviewed Alex Shane, um, which no one will ever listen to. That <laughs> so, another story for another time. Where'd that file go, JP? One of the it? things I brought up in the interview, yeah, exactly. I couldn't even tell you now at this point. Um, but one of the uh, things that he brought up was um, we were talking about equity and obviously he was taking credit for it, but he was mentioning about Mark Andrews <laughs> and equity as well. Obviously at he was the taking time. credit for it. He was, obviously, he's, he's Britain's Jeff Jarrett. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Jack so, Apollo. That, that very much is, isn't it? Um, but that was one of the things he said is, is that, is that Mark, and, uh, Mark Andrews was involved. I have to say, and again, full disclosure, I'm actually vice chair of the union in my workplace. Like I, I'm an active union member. Um, obviously, it's a teaching union for that. Mm. So I'm kind of all behind like the idea of unionisation. Um, I don't, you know, it's not the fucking 1970s. Not not going to have three day weeks as a result of it. But sort of fair terms in the workplace. 
credit to Eve for doing this. This is this is something. The idea of the professionalization. I, I don't know if anyone has a chance actually listen to the We the Independent podcast, particularly the second episode where James Musselwhite, David Starr, interview a guy from Equity, and he's talking about the minutiae of what it offers them. The idea that these are people who have to do lots of training, lots of dedication, and act professional in these ways except how they're treated by their employers. So why wouldn't you want that to be professional as well? So it's about raising the overall, you know, it's the idea of the rising tide sort of rises all ships. And that's something that, that they're going for. The idea that it's just like the idea of, oh, you're trying to virtue signaling, trying to make yourself look no. good. Seriously. Fucking hell. This is about making it better for everyone in the workplace. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you like him or don't like him. That's ultimately what it is they're doing. This doesn't seem like it's some kind of scam. And to be honest, we've all met David Starr several times. He doesn't seem like he's a bullshit merchant on this. And the idea he might rub some people up the wrong way, that's life. Some people rub you up the wrong way. You're not going to get on with every human being you ever meet. And mm. I think it's a lot of people sort of need to kind of get beyond that. God, I sound like Joe this week, don't I? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, mean, I think his spirit, his spirit is kind of... <laughs> <in resume. JP>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, that's the title for the show now. I've changed my mind. <laughs> but I, I, I do think David yeah, Starr's kind some... of his, his own problem, his own worst enemy sometimes, though. Because, like, I don't agree with yeah. Mark Andrews. Because the reason I thought it was aimed at Starr, but I think it is aimed at Eve as well, is in some replies he was going on about, well, I don't... I, you know, we, I wouldn't, you know, blare the lines of, you know, make it a wrestling story, which is what David Starr's kind of done with the independent stuff, which to me just says, you, well, you're just being work then, aren't you? The biggest mark in the building. But I do think David yeah. Starr does, because I saw him replying to somebody today kind of saying, because someone said, oh, you called WWE wrestlers a sellout, and David Starr was like, no. I, I, my character did call, and I think it was Walter he called a sellout, but yeah. you know the, the the actual you know we the independent stuff is is separate from that. Please don't blur those lines. It's like oh, hang on, David, you are the one blaring these lines. I kind of I do think he's his own worst enemy in that regard. Sometimes he is, isn't he? Uh, but do you know what? He's a big boy. He can fight for himself. Yeah, I'm still on his so, side completely. If it winds yeah. up these NXT UK dweebs, then I'm I'm up for it. Like David Stark can do no wrong for me uh, in this in this little story. Same here. You're not going to convince me that the corporation is the good guys here. Sorry. <laughs> there isn't a world where that fucking argument is going to work. And, like, yeah, and everything that they have done to kind of own every single part of um, of wrestling through all the stuff we've talked about with various independent companies. And at the same time, they won't give the people who actually wrestle, who put their lives on the line for them, fucking health insurance or pay for their travel them to pay those expenses themselves absolute bullshit yeah go on dave <laughs> fucking wind them up all the way <laughs> i really have gone full rev jp you've gone full zach saber jr now zach saber jp <laughs> oh that's awesome yep absolutely awesome yeah, it's a bit of a shame we're all kind of talking about this rather than apparently there was a killer Joey Janela David Star match that happened last night at Beyond. Desperate to see that. Uh, maybe yeah, we can that at all. You know what we've been watching next week, but yeah, controversy does seem to form around. Um, I mean, before we do get into what we've been watching, uh, one last quick news thing. I don't know what's the biggest story. Uh, I wanted to put this to you, Jamesy. Moxley doing Bloodsport. Or Superhuman doing a GC doing Joey Janela's last GCW show. Uh, oh, Superhuman! 
<laughs> we, we could not mention it. That's awesome. Of course. What a legend of a man. <laughs> I, just, I, I really thought GCW and Mr. The working class man Sabu. He is. Super. There you go. He exactly. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen it, please look him up on Twitter. He's the, he's, he's a great follow um, for the Juggalos and Juggalettes. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to see him get... <laughs> Like the gifts I saw Nick Gage beating the shit out of Brian Alvarez on that Beyond show, I'd want to see that with Superhuman um, going through some flaming tables and some barbed wire or something. And you know we'll love every second of it. Is, is he, is, have they got a match set up for him at this point? Uh, no, no, just he's, he's down as appearing. I think it is Janela's like goodbye to GCW. Oh, Apart from, I think he's still coming back and doing the spring break shows, but it's kind of his his regular goodbye. But no, he's just advertised right now. Like I say, backyard GCW backyard for me was the time to do it, but I'm still open to it. Um, yeah, the, uh, would you would you put Nick Gage in there with him? Hundred percent. That's what I book. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna just so we're all on that as well. Like, no Jimmy Lloyd's. No, you get Gage in there. <laughs> uh, Did you see that tweet about Alvarez? Someone, someone made it. Someone was watching the uh, Alvarez was in a tag match um, against Nick Gage and Thomas Santel. I think Alvarez is with Tom Lawler, isn't that right? That's, That's right, right. Yeah, the, the, the Chop and Roll Express. Yeah. Someone made a tweet saying. Um, Brian Alvarez is 44 years of age. He looks like he's 29 and he wrestles like he's 63. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah I did, I did, apparently it was a lot of stalling and then like one minute of action. He's, yeah. got, he's got a very yeah. uh, old school style, uh, poor Alvarez. Yeah, yeah he, took that, he, took a, he took a nasty looking back breaker and that's probably it. Oh, still want to see it. Still want to watch it. Yeah. Um, you hype for Absolutely. Moxley and Bloodsport as well, Jamesy? Would you reckon that'll work? Oh, big time, yeah. I mean, we, we, we'll be talking about Mox now soon enough, like, but I uh, definitely sure. Do you remember he was at the first one, or, or the one, the last one there? He, he was, was up yeah, in the many weekends, yeah, with Regal yeah, and that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes yeah, sense, yeah. My, my dream match, I need to see Thatcher and Moxley in the ring. That's my new number one dream <laughs> match. Joe Cabray, I know you're listening, Joe Cabray. I know you listen to this podcast. That's the match I want for the stadium in October. John Moxley, <laughs> Timothy Thatcher. Ambition rules. Oh, you know what's going to happen now, Jamesy. They just seem to put yeah. things to it to make you happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd enjoy that. But yeah, I, I want to, just wanted to mention those two little notes because I do feel like GCW put all of the promotions to shame with their booking. If uh, whoever is running GCW doesn't get Booker of the Year and the Observer Awards at the end of the year, I'll be very disappointed. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, we I said then we were going to get into what we've been watching. So I suppose I'll, I'll throw it out to you guys. Uh, You've been watching, before we get into our G1 talk, uh, anything else you've been, been watching this week? I believe uh, you both watched some uh, Kento Miyahara. Yeah, watched a bit of uh, Kento Miyahara um, Zeus, which kind of more on the recommendation of a um, friend of the show, WH Park, as, as something to watch. And I've managed to sort of watch it as we were just about to sort of start recording the show. Um, really enjoyed it. Like a really good, like Miyahara, my God, his, his timing and the way he just, everything he does is so crisp and so sure because Zeus, I like as a big guy and I've seen him have a couple of really great matches there. That one last year, wasn't it? Um, between them. And, you know, he had a decent run as, uh, as triple crown champion as well, but like Miyahara just feels like he's on a different level and Zeus is a lot more limited compared to him, but he, he just can get these kind of really good dramatic heated matches with the, you know, the ebb and flow. The first 10 minutes don't feel like they're wasted motion at all with Miyahara. 
Um, so it was because it's a long match. I wouldn't say it's about sort of 35 minutes or so, but it's it's got, definitely worth going out of your way to see. Although much more worryingly, it didn't look like there was a lot of people there. And that's one of the things that might be a bit of concern. There's a bit of reports of sort of all Japan business not being great at points. I think their Kurokan shows are fine, but yeah, really enjoyed it. What did you make of it, Jamesy? Yeah, oh, excellent match. Like I, I have Miyahara way up my wrestler of the year list. I would say mm. at the moment he's in my top five. Like yep. he's because in terms of a guy who hasn't really dropped the ball in a big match this year. Like every single one of his title defenses has been excellent. He had an excellent run in Champion Carnival. Mm. I was kind of thinking about him earlier, and I don't know if there's a better champion in wrestling at the moment. Like in terms of a guy who just the minute he comes out from behind the curtain, just screams from every pore of his body I'm the ace of this company there's, a, yeah. there's an aura about him there's a way he carries himself there's an edge to him he's not the smiling baby face champion like the, the, there's, a, there's a little bit of nastiness to him there's a kind mm. of a there's an arrogance and a swagger about him in his matches um, and it's it, you know we've been immersing ourselves in, in the new Japan style I suppose for the last two or three weeks like watching match after match after match so it's nice to kind of watch a match that's a slightly different style maybe a more kind of a how would I say, kind of a slightly, I think all Japan is a bit more minimalistic than, than new oh, Japan. Yeah. yeah. They don't, they don't go in for the, the big reversal finishes and that kind of thing. It's a lot more strike based, but at the same time, like the, the pace, like the pace they set for a 33 minute match, like there was no very few rest holes. There's very few down periods in this match. Those bicycle knees that Kento hits, like yeah. are, you, know, you talk about Kenny Omega's like, it, 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 and in this match in particular, he was just nailing them every single time. And I think him and Zeus kind of go back a long way. I think they kind of came through together. Mm. And at one point, people thought Zeus would be the guy who'd kind of become the ace of, of all Japan. And instead it was Miyahara. And there's that natural rivalry between them. And like, I don't think this is quite as good as their couple of matches last year when they switched the title back and forth. But mm. like, to me, I would have this four and a quarter, four and a half stars. No problem at all. Just an excellent match. And honestly, I know it's hard to kind of squeeze anything else in at this time of year, but definitely go out of your way to watch this match at some point. Oh, yeah, awesome. I'd go with you on the rating. I haven't rated it yet myself, but I'll when I do, I'll I'll do it right now. Yeah, four and a quarter is what I'd say. You, you yeah. Yeah. definitely worth getting out of your time. So, and like you say as well, I love the fact that that Mihara's finisher is that straight jacket German. You know, it's like you say the, the kind brilliant. of minimalistic style. Like the, everything he does has meaning. And I suppose as a result of it, I find him, he's quite sort of transfixing to watch because I'm never bored by watching him. Mm. You never feel like that this is stalling. This is just a way of killing a certain amount of time because they're going to go this long in the main. He knows how to kind of fill that space. It's just kind of sad that he's not doing it in front of these massive crowds, which is really what he deserves. But if you're going to invest in someone to try and turn the business, uh, all Japan business around, and, and obviously it's a long and hard road to try and get it up to anywhere close to where it is now, or even sort of a quarter of as popular as New Japan is, he's the guy that you really have to go with. It's who the competitors are around him in that kind of 1B, 1C positions. They're the things that are really up for grabs and where they need that bit of depth. 
Yeah, and, and they are trying to build. And I mean, we talk about the low attendance, like, but Jesus, like, they, they were in serious trouble before he came along or before he oh, was kind yeah. of the VA. So, I mean, to have that number in the building is credit to him. And like, they are, like, even with the Champion Carnival, they're trying to build up a kind of a, you know, they have Jake Lee and Namura now as well as kind of they're yeah. going to, I think they'll be kind of career rivals for him as well in Zeus. Um, so they are doing their best, you know what I mean? But it's it, it's tough, like, and I mean, it takes time from, as well, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, like, everywhere else business in Japan is is difficult at the moment I think like apart from New Japan and DDT everyone else is kind of Dragon Gate to a certain extent everyone else is kind of struggling when you look at those numbers sometimes in the observer of the amount of people who are at these shows and sometimes it makes for kind of grim reading you know Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They kind of get lost in the conversation, don't they? As well as like, as far as talk goes, just in general. Um, obviously, mm. everyone's kind of obsessed with the G one right now. But as far as like, even just you know, online discourse, you just don't hear about it, do you? Like, I heard about heard a little bit of talk about this match, but not a lot. Um, and it kind of just goes to yeah, where kind of where they sit in the overall conversation now. Yeah, they do. I mean. They're a fascinating promotion. There's something that I kind of want to get behind and support because there's a lot of good things going on there from a sort of in-ring perspective. And I think Junaki Yama and the job he's managed to do to kind of, like like you said, James, there was a few years ago, but all intents and purposes felt dead. And mm-hmm. that's always a strange thing is kind of wrestling promotions dying in Japan. My God, like Noah's come very close as well. And you're never quite sure how long a lot of these companies are going. But Junaki Yama, even though he sort of stepped down as a business head, He's a lot of credits to go to him as, as someone who's managed to kind of revitalize it without, you know, putting himself up in there in the main events as well, which he can still do. But at least when he does it, it's going to have some meaning. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. if anyone else has seen it, get your ratings in on Grapple. I'm just looking on Grapple now. It's got an average of 4.82. There's only seven people who've rated it. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, as you two guys, that gives nine. Um, yeah, it's kind of, that's the thing. Not many people watching, but the people who are watching raving about it. I think that kind of sums up all Japan and sums up those bigger Kenta Mihara matches at this point, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, while you guys were watching that, uh, I was uh, busy at Sendai Girls this weekend. Uh Made an allusion to it last week. Uh, Joe said some very disparaging things about Sendai Girls fans, and uh, I'm here on the oh, podcast yeah. this week, JP, to defend them. Uh, no, I, had a, I had a great time. Uh, I can't defend the sausages that Miko was giving, but I can't. I can't defend the, <laughs> the show in general. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I'm any kind of expert on Sendai or, or women's wrestling in general. Uh, JP, I think you're the women's wrestling correspondent for uh, the spotlight. Uh, you've kind of been slacking a bit. We need to. We need to get you uh, get you going I... again. I I have been a, a lack of a lack of time, but yeah, I'm gonna be. Uh, where were you on Saturday? Yeah, don't worry, busy, too busy for too busy for uh, for Sendai Girls in Manchester. I think I might well have been, as we alluded to at the start of the show. There's some big hurling on this weekend, <laughs> and, and and I think on that Saturday evening, I also watched Sligo Rovers Bohemians <laughs> on a dodgy stream. So. You know, so I didn't go to Sendai. It looked like a good crowd, though. Yeah, it was... I mean, it was very much a Fight Club pro-feeling crowd. It was very much a Fight Club pro-feeling show. This was at the Manchester Academy that Fight Club Pro do run from time to time. They've run it twice now for DTTI. A very male-dominated crowd, I would say, of 400-odd of 400, 400 people. Uh, but Schadenfreude was over as anyone on the show. That's what kind of maybe it, it did feel very Fight Club pro uh, it had two intermissions, which is also very Fight Club Pro. Um, but 
As far as the actual presentation of the, the, the show itself from start to finish, they did offer something different. Um, and it did, I mean, it was a six-match card, so it wasn't, you know, too deep. And it was just an easy kind of afternoon at the wrestling. Uh, it was, I would say, I've been to a, a few live shows this year, and I, we were kind of talking in the pub afterwards, and I've been thinking about it. Like, as, Although there was nothing on the show that I would say was better than, say, Walter and Ilya from Progress, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, as far as actual and overall show, it was one of the better shows I've been to this year, if not the best. Um, and I think maybe the six-match card kind of gave you that because it gave them the chance to just offer something different. There was like, a, I think my favourite match was a Dash uh, Shisako uh, match with Kaylee Ray, kind of just a plunder match. Lots of WWE-style chairs to the back to Kaylee Ray at the start that made me a little bit worried of, of what kind of match they were going for. But then all it was kind of reminiscent. You know those really bad chairs matches that Big Show would do all the time, where the the kind of the weapon <laughs> was the chair. <laughs> yeah, and they don't. They don't. Unfortunately, not. No, no. But, but, but what they'd always do is they you get like the little ginger shot to the belly and then the shot to the back, and that was the until they did mm. bring out the giant chair, and that's the way it kind of started. But then I tell you what, Kaylee Ray for a WWE contracted wrestler, she was well up for this. She took. At least two chair shots, like one where the chair got thrown out of head, a second that definitely took a head out. She took a nutty bump through a table on the outside. They were brawling through the crowd to the bar and back. She was well up for it. Uh, and it turned into a, a really, really, really good match. I mean, Dash is someone that, you know, my friends who are fans of Sendai will, will rave about. And, you know, she looked fantastic in here with Kaylee Ray. And it was probably the most interested I've been in a, in a Kaylee Ray match in a while. Uh, it kind of made me think, oh, yeah, I'd rather see him. Maybe it's the, all that ICW training um, that kind of makes it, <laughs> makes it good for matches like this. But, yeah, really enjoyed that. I thought that was really strong. There was a comedy match where you're aware of Aiga, who kind of does like a the ring slash Sue Young type gimmick. Uh, she had a match with Martina. I don't know if she's come over either of your radars. She was kind of in full the ring type get get up, wandering around the show. Saw gimmick. pictures of her and pictures yeah. that fans had taken with her, but mm. and outside of that, no. I'll- not really aware of her yeah that's it again the gimmick is very sue young but like she yeah it, it was kind of cool just seeing her wander around after the show in in full makeup uh scaring the shit out of fans and yeah it was a very it was a dopey <laughs> comedy match it was the type of martina i want to see like i know martina's been trying to do the serious wrestler stuff and you know bookings and the likes of companies like this is what she's aiming for but this is more what I want to see. Basically, she was just running away. It was very Scooby-Doo. Uh, I think there was a whole chase sequence to backstage. Then Martina came out to the Ghostbusters theme with a vacuum cleaner trying to, uh, I don't know, suck up uh, Iger. Uh, she was over, though. And the whole thing. I mean, I would say it's not a matter. I'm glad Joe's not on the show because Joe would hate this. Um, and I would never recommend Joe watches it or anybody probably watches it on VOD. But I would say I kind of walked away like, you know what, for the grief we all give Martina, she's still a great live act. She was very over. Even with the Irish section, Jamesy, she was getting a getting a lot of response. Uh, the Irish love her. Yeah, they do. There's been, there's been moments. There's been some touchy moments uh, in the past. I don't know. She's back in the good book. <laughs> she's back in the good book now. That's good. I think. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but the Fightful Pro crowd loved her as well, and she is. Like this... I don't know. I, I, the serious wrestler Martina is not for me. I'd, I'd watch her doing this type of stuff any day of the week. Well, she drinks, so of course the Fight Club Crow proud like her. <laughs> that's it. She fits in the after parties and the Gifford. Um, exactly. That's exactly. All you need before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that was good entertainment. The 
Chris Brooks kind of turned up to do a it was an open challenge uh, Valkyrie um, a wrestler I'm sure you're very proud of Jamesy was uh, doing an open yeah. challenge uh, I saw a bit of grumbling that it was Brooks answering the challenge uh, obviously it being a Sendai Girl show and you've got a an intergender match on there and got Brooks out there but I will say you know I, I don't we've given Chris Brooks grief on this show a lot of times but I will say as far as singles wrestler Chris Brooks goes I'll take interge- intergender Chris Brooks over trying to do serious upper mid-card matches in Rev Pro Chris Brooks because it was very good uh, kind of Valkyrie was fantastic as like the the underdog in the match there was a lot of Schadenfreude interference in there as well, um, kind of stacking the odds and lots of kind of Chris Brooks gaining and kind of playing with the crowd um, and getting getting heat, but it's always that wink-wink-nudge-nudge heat that he kind of gets in Fight Club Pro, but still being very over with this audience, yeah. Really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good match. And yeah, Valkyrie looked looked absolutely fantastic. Only a matter of time before. I'd imagine we'd be seeing her in, in lots more places, Jamesy. Yeah, she's she's come on like it, it's been really rapid. Like it, it, she she had some very kind of iffy performances in OTT there for quite a while, and she was kind of a bit hesitant and a little. And I think she she suffered from maybe not being given the chances on contender shows in the early days that her peers like that the likes of more than hype did. Like I mean, they were on shows from day one, whereas it kind of took a while before she even got a chance. Mm. And she had some nervous showings and there was a few matches that didn't really click. And then two things happened. Number one, she did a tour in WXW, which I think gave her it just got her out of Ireland for a while and got her kind of wrestling away from the Irish scene and her confidence just grew exponentially and then the second thing that happened was she turned heel in OTT and this woke queens kind of pairing with uh, Debbie Mm. Keitel um, has really been good for her confidence and has kind of brought her out of her shell completely and um, she's been like a new wrestler in the last few in the last few months yeah Um, the the thing I was going to say about the um, about Chris Brooks being on the show like do you remember when Progress did a women's show and there was a men's match kind of as an intermission match or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, it felt like an in-joke, didn't it? But, but, but wasn't there outrage over it? And there was an awful lot of complaints about it. Mm. And I kind of thought there wasn't quite as many complaints. I didn't hear anybody complaining about Chris Brooks doing the same thing at Fight Club Pro. I kind of uh, thought, hmm. It's Brooks, isn't is he? It? <laughs> He's nice to have yeah. one at the merch table. So, you know, we're all yeah. very forgiven. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, I think... We're kind of in Brooks's playground there at basically being a Fight Club Pro show, so you're going to be hard-pressed to get that audience to be upset mm. that they got surprised Chris Brooks. And I would say as well, as much as I've you know, I've kind of been lukewarm on him a lot of the time, I do think he's actually been missed. I know he's not been, he's not been gone long, but in being away in Japan and missing like a couple of key shows... I was going to ask that. He's yeah. been like... Because he is... Because there's not many... I wouldn't call him a main eventer, but names in Brit Res left... He kind of left a bit of a hole on the progress shows that he missed and the Rev Pro show that he yeah, missed in Manchester. Yeah. I think maybe people were just happy to, to see him back as uh, as much as anything uh, and to see him back on Twitter too. <laughs> yeah. That was the silliest banning in the world. That was very, <laughs> very odd. But I mean, I, I would say I'm kind of intrigued to see him again. Mm. I know at one point it did feel like he's on he's on every card is there, but he says he's a he's a really nice guy who knows how to kind of connect with his fan base, knows how uh, the things that are going to work for him in order to kind of get him over. The thing I'm intrigued is is to see, and I haven't seen the match he had with Takashita and DDT. I'm intrigued to see what if there's been sort of any slight improvements. I'm not expecting mm-hmm. things to be necessarily drastic, 
but I'm kind of intrigued because in a sense, the, the kind of British wrestling landscape again is wide open for him, for him to go into lots of different promotions and do lots of different things. And it seems to be storyline wise that the Shard and Freud storyline is going to be kind of, he's going to be doing that throughout the country. Because I think that that's something that seems to have really connected with people. So I could see them doing it in Rev Pro and OTT. You know, I I, I think that's just that's going to be the kind of common thing that he comes back with. Yeah, that's it. And one thing I would say is, you know, as Mike Kilby said, uh, you know, it, uh, don't at me with your half-based excuses. It's about time that uh, the Sendai girls are the man on their show. It's a, it is 2019 <laughs> after all. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I didn't mind it too much. It, it, was, it was fun enough. Uh, but yeah, that was good. I mean, other, otherwise on the show, the main event was uh, Miko Setamura and Tony Storm. I will say for a main event, it felt big. It felt like a big match. I was there live for the you know, the last time they had a match in WXW. Um, yeah. Was that Tag League last year or was it Karras? Fem, uh, Fem Fatal. Fem Fatal. Was a, that was uh, yeah. Sorry, Tag League. Yeah. Tag League, yeah, yeah. Like this time last year, actually. God, can't believe that's a year ago. Mm. Uh, much better than that. This was a much more, I'd say, solid main event style match with kind of a, a good near fall sequence. I'd probably give it a 3.75, probably the height that I would give a Tony Storm match. Uh, the finish was that having to hit three uh, three power drivers after a WWE finish didn't work. I kind of enjoyed that. I also enjoyed that the NXT UK Women's Championship got booed very loudly for the second uh, Manchester show I've been to recently that where they got that reaction. Uh, but yeah, Tony Storm stealing for me. They said I didn't expect much more. It was very good. Got to see you know Miko being a badass, uh, which is always good to see. Uh, and yeah, Tony Storm kind of went over for the for the big moment at the end as well. So yeah, I don't know. I think t- t- Tony Storm, someone who uh, I think I enjoy in principle, but yeah, as far as matches go, when you think about it, uh, I don't. I, I can't think of her having a better match than this, and I can't really say I was hugely blown away from by it either. Do you think she needs to? I mean, we've said this as well. She's someone who could actually do with being in possibly that WWE system. Mm, like Jenny. and like, yeah exactly but also but if she was being given you know sort of decent matches in you know on the main roster against some of the women who are on there then at that point you might see a bit more of an a bit you sort of maybe take it on that little bit more but um yeah the, these matches have always sort of flattered to deceive i always mm. felt like they, they're sort of they feel much bigger than what they end up being i know that that's how i felt after femme fatale which again like what you said not a bad match at all but not one that would blow me away mm. yeah that's tony Storm's yeah. up really and yeah. i i saw them have a match in japan from last year um mm. and it was the same thing it was a, i think it was a 20 or 30 minute draw and it was very fine. You know what I mean? You couldn't say it was any more than that. You know what I mean? It was a yeah. match that it was a match. Um, but I think you summed it up best, Benno. Like it's, it's from my point of view, most times I watch Tony Storm wrestle and kind of underwhelmed left. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never awful matches. She's not a bad wrestler by any means, but it's very rarely she has an outstanding match. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, and to be honest, She's got a lot. She's got a lot else going for. Her. She's got a star quality. She's got. If you, you put her on Raw age tomorrow, age on her side as well. Yeah, age on her side. If you put her on Raw tomorrow, I know I've heard people say, you know, maybe it's a maturity thing. Well, they don't. She'd get over. 
she'd be a star and she'd probably get away with it, to be honest. <laughs> it's just when you put in the big spot with Miko Setamora, maybe, you know, on the big Sendai Girls show in the UK, you know, the fact they got to come over here and do a, do a full show, maybe you expect a little bit more. But like I say, still gave it 3.75. It was just, just you know, maybe not quite uh, at the level that maybe would have made it a little bit more memorable. But all in all, yeah, it was a very, I would say, unique feeling show. Um, they kind of had the, the roster come out at the start, Miko doing a speech at the end, uh, kind of with tears in her eyes, happy that, you know, Sendai Girls got to do a show in the UK. Uh, like I say, they probably drew about four under them. Could see them coming back. Miko seems to constantly come back, so I could see it happen. But for me, it was more a fun night. Got to catch up with the Ogdens, with, with Will Cooling, uh, the likes of Chris Lane, and uh, quite a few of the Irish out there as well, Jamesy representing. Got to go to oh, Brewdog. Had some cauliflower wings, which were very good. Went to Goth Pub, went to a hippie pub. If anything, it was a good day out <laughs> in Manchester, so I can't complain. Decent beer. Uh, yeah, a couple, couple of good punk IPAs, you know, um, some solid ones. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they got a new Brewdog in Manchester. I know they are the evil corporation. They are basically um, progress at this point, but still good beers, JP. So still worth, <laughs> still worthwhile the trip. I'll take you there when you come to take you to the Liverpool one when we're uh, when you're over on Thursday. Get in, yeah. <laughs> well um, up for that. But yeah, I mean, that, obviously I watched that this week. Uh, the one other thing I just wanted to mention very briefly, because I did talk it on post, but caught up uh, with a couple of uh, big Jordan Devlin matches uh, from the last couple of weeks, uh, one of which I know you both of you guys have seen now. Uh, first mm. I saw was uh, him and Ilya from the Progress Newcastle show. Um, kind of forgotten now and lost in the, in the weeds with the amount of great matches going, but it got a lot of hype for about 12 hours, this thing. Um, solid long weekend booking as well, if nothing else, than building up to the... Uh, to the Ilya Walter match that I saw the the night after, um, but yeah, Devlin's fantastic. Uh, if Joe was here, he'd tell. I think Joe's analysis of it was that Devlin almost single handedly got Ilya over with the Progress fans, and I would say okay. maybe it's been a little bit more coming. I, I do think you know he was over in Manchester as well the night after. But there was a huge difference from like the reaction to Ilya at the start of the match and then the reaction to Ilya by the end of it, uh, once Devl- Devlin got into sort of full full flow. Loads of great counters. It was like a Devlin countered uh, the Torpedo Moscow with like a Canadian destroyer. Uh, great little finishing sequence. Uh, a really good maybe 4 or 4.25 star match. Just a kind of a, a little bit of a kick out fest, but they didn't go too far with it. Um, just... Devlin's on another level at this point. Uh, we kind of forget it because of him being buried on NXT UK, but absolutely love that thing from Newcastle. And then I watched them against Callum Black as well from OTT, a completely different kind of match, and I thought he was great there too. Um, you both saw this one. Uh, Jamesy, did you You went there, were you? Did you catch it on the VOD? No, I was away, but um, yeah, I watched it back when it came out. And yeah, like, I mean, you're talking about Devlin, like he really is world-class at the moment. Like mm. he's... He's, you know, he can have the big main event like with Ilya, and then he can go to a small room like the Ringside Club and have this match with Callum Black. And like Callum is 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 a good young wrestler. He's a guy who's who's known to OTT fans pretty much from day one. Like he's one of those guys. I'm sure you would know similar people maybe in Rev Pro and Progress who were on the ring crew. Yeah. And everybody likes everybody. A familiar face that you see at every show. You know what I mean? And has a bit of time for everybody. So he has that organic kind of connection with the fan base straight away and his career has been a little bit stop start he he had a kind of a start on contenders and he kind of had this heel persona that didn't quite click he went away for a while had a bit of a reboot came back at the start of this year had a great match with carlos romo that i would again recommend to people to have a look at um 
on a contender show and it's just been steadily improving and working hard and but like to have the match that he had with Devlin here was just bringing him up to another level you know what I mean and Devlin was just masterful in the way he you know we talk about Kento Miyahara coming through the curtain and coming across as the ace of the company like Jordan Devlin is is very much the ace of Irish wrestling like you know what I mean and yeah. he, he played it really well in this match like he, he kind of was a he, he was a bit arrogant and a little bit cocky and kind of a little bit almost amused by the fact that he was wrestling Callum Black and a little slightly dismissive of him, I might say. Mm. But then he kind of, it, it gave, he, he was kind of giving Black the nudge to kind of show a bit of fire and kind of get my attention kind of thing, you know. And, and I think he really did that in the match, you know. And Callum stepped up. He he played his part in the match for sure. There's a brilliant moment on the VOD where um, Callum has kind of fallen outside the ring and they just captured perfectly on camera. He kind of rises up from the floor above the ring apron kind of it's like Vince McMahon in, the, in that Wrestlemania <laughs> match against Hulk Hogan where he kind of rises up above the ring apron pulls the, pulls down the straps on his singlet marches into the ring and they just kind of go to war with punches on each other you know um, and like the finish to this thing was tremendous it was a kind of Callum being defiant telling Jordan that he kicks like a bitch and then Jordan kind of taking numbers to that and basically just kicking him into unconsciousness a real vicious yeah. side to Devlin and uh, it makes me wonder what way they're going with Devlin like there's, there's you know he's no longer the kind of the blue eyed baby face in OTT I think after the last match where he kind of interfered in Devlin's star and they're kind of again they're kind of putting shades of grey on his character mm. and there's that kind of there's that moment where he kind of loses the head and kind of almost goes too far with a young Irish wrestler kind of and it's kind of again kind of just giving his character a little bit of edge and a little bit of nuance again and, and just really good stuff and like a great match really really good match and again people should definitely check it out I think I went 4.25 on it I really liked it mm. oh awesome uh, what about you JP I went 4 on it um, I can completely see why I go at 4.25 I, I love these matches. I mean, I suppose this is one of the things being Young Lions correspondent as well. It, <laughs> for me, Irish it, Young Lions. It was. It was oh, Irish. Oh my god! All the boxes. Yeah. Exactly. Right, so, yeah. so it had that. It had that kind of um, the story within the match. You you knew that Black wasn't wasn't going to win, but that wasn't necessarily the the purpose of the match. Mm. And I enjoy these, and I found myself engaged and involved. And it's an easy watch. I think it's, I want to say it's about fifteen minutes or so. Mm. It's, 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 no more longer yeah, than that. Yeah, no more. So it, it's really well paced. You see, like the change from Devlin to being sort of quite arrogant and doing like you know treating him like it's his day one at wrestling, and then to getting to later on where it does start to get a bit more desperate and black. His fire as well. You know, this is someone who it's going to take obviously a bit longer, but there's this is someone who's well worth investing in and going with as well. He's got really good size about him. Mm. Um, yeah, and he and he used it well. Um, so yeah, really, I really enjoyed the match. Yeah, I, I love go, it. As go, well. go have your way to watch it. Yeah. I, I would say it was probably of the two Devlin matches I saw, the worst of the two, but I probably enjoyed it more yeah. just because of the story mm. of it. And That's like, true. like you both said, that the fact that they gave Callum Black got to give him a fight even in losing, you know, getting to that that you kick like a bitch line uh, to Jordan and then Jordan just yeah. kills him with the kicks it was just such a great moment um so yeah it did feel like one of those matches where someone is somewhat made in defeat so yeah hopefully as we've seen uh, OTT are going to be uh, capitalizing on that going forward because yeah really enjoyed it um i mean before we get into the G1 is there uh, any other uh, stragglers or any other matches or, or shows that either of you two have seen just very quickly, there was a match on 205 Live last week that I would highly recommend to people. Um, it was Drew Gulak against 
Shane Strickland. If I said the name Isaiah Scott, would anybody have any idea who that is? <laughs> when they put out that <laughs> graphic for the, the NXT tournament, it was like Isaiah Scott, whatever GJZ's name is now, like DJ Quails or yeah. something like that. Like, oh, honestly. I can't keep up at all. They, like, they just give everybody a new name and, and put them all in the tournament and no idea who these guys are. But yeah, like the, the match it w- was really excellent, I would say. Um, like To me, Gulak is one of the best guys in WWE. I think he's a phenomenal wrestler, brilliant technician, vicious when he needs to be. And I'm going to call him Strickland. I'm not calling him Isaiah Scott because it's just, it just doesn't seem right. <laughs> Strickland was, 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 was great. Swerve, exactly. Swerve was great in the match. Um, it kind of started off as Gulak's technical ability against the more spectacular offense of Strickland. And then the match for me kind of went on to another level when Strickland hits this great right-hand punch to, to Gulak, a kind of turning point in the match. But in the process, he sells the fact that his hand has been injured in throwing this punch. And it's not something you see often in wrestling. Like you see people working a body part, but it's very rarely a wrestler. I suppose you see the, 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 the chopping the ring post spot a little bit, but this was a guy literally hurting his hand by punching someone else in the face. I'd never seen that happen before. And he's kind of shaking the hand out and immediately Gulak's eyes kind of light up. There's something for him to attack. And every time Gulak's in trouble in the match, he goes back to the hand and attacks it. Um, there's a really good near fall off a double stomp that, that Strickland hits. Um, and just to, uh, and then the finish to the match is really good. Um, Strickland has Gulak in an armbar and Gulak again kind of catches his hand and attacks the hand to get out of it. And again, so the hand is the turning point in the match. Um, like just repeatedly punching him in the hand like something you'd never really see in a wrestling match and then hits his finish uh, to take the win but like you know I don't watch 205 Live on a regular basis by any means but if, if there's been a better I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's Hamilton. it yeah Larry Zonka yeah, I think he even does um, <laughs> yeah, Larry Zonka maybe but um, yeah like it's if there's been a better match on 205 Live this year I really want to see it because it was really just different and not, not a WWE TV style either like very much uh, a, a kind of an independent style and a kind of a mm. Uh, just different to what you'd see on WWE TV you know and the one thing about 205 Live is they do give time to the main events like they'll usually give the guys a good 20 minutes to go out there and have a match and um, it's just it just shows the amount of talent they're hoarding that they can randomly throw Shane Strickland and Drew Gulak out on a Wednesday night and have this great match you know what I mean it's just it's just yeah it's just a sign of, of, of how much hoarding they've done over the years you know yeah, yeah. it's crazy that's it. Like you could be forgiven for not even knowing Shane Strickland signed through the V contract. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that, like that's... he's someone who, like, I, I always joke with one of my mates, Matty, because he's a big Shane Strickland fan, and he was always convinced he was coming out at a Rumble or he was going to make a big, big main roster debut, and they didn't even <laughs> let him keep his name. That's how much they thought of Shane Strickland. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. But saying that, compared to the uh, the All Japan match we talked about earlier, I'm looking on Grapple. It's got an average of just under four stars, but 41 people have rated it. So. There are, you know, might not be quite 50, but there's at least 41 people out there watching 205 Live and rating on Grapple, so at least there's that. Yeah, there is. I'd, be- probably, I'd, I'd like to get around to seeing it at some point. It's, I liked Gulak and the Evolve show, so I might, I might get, give that a watch tomorrow. Yeah, same based on that recommendation from Jamesy. Definitely interested myself yeah, as well, but let's do it. But uh, anything else from you, JP, before we move on, or should we uh, get into our, uh, our G1 talk? Uh, get into the G1. Right, let's do it. Climax, 
Lance Archer is the milk of wrestling right now. Right then, let's talk some G1 and there's only one place to start. Uh, Jamesy, a uh, question we always ask, what's the weirdest place you've been watching G1 this G1 season? Have you uh, have you done a me? Have you been watching any in the toilets? Have you done a JP? Have you been watching any on the on the bus, on a bike, doing the washing? I I have done That's the nice. toileting. I have <laughs> regularly done I've regularly done the toileting actually. I can remember going all the way back to remember that great Okada, one of those great Okada Tanahashi she draws two or three years ago. Mm. <laughs> Watched that in the toilets in work. Nice. Um, because for us, like it, it, it's great. Like in fact, I I get to see more wrestling when I'm in work than mm. I do. If I'm at home here with kids, there's no way I can watch wrestling in peace. So I end up watching when they're gone to bed. Whereas at least in work, I can duck out for an hour over lunch break and catch a bit of G1 and that kind of thing. But I've I found a great spot in work in the last couple of years that there's this boardroom in the place I work that nobody uses and nobody goes into. So it's great. I just go in there at my lunch, take an early lunch around 12 o'clock and get, I usually get the last two matches of a block, Mm. put the feet up. There's a lovely reclining chair in there. Put the feet (laughs) up. Great, great reception on the the 4G in my phone and watch my two matches. And then I only have to go home and watch three, three undercard matches then that evening. It's perfect. I have a great little system going for G1. (laughs) That's it. You've got to ration your time, haven't you, JP? You've got to get, get, that's it. If you, I I feel like. Any chance you can get. I mean, this year it's been easier than ever, but with them, I'm basically, we've had three weeks in a row now where it's been three show weeks and I think I made a post on Twitter where I was kind of saying yeah, but it came to like Friday and I hadn't watched any G1 the entire working week and I was still only one show behind it kind of felt wrong it felt like it wasn't G1 season and then those Saturday and Sunday shows came and then I was chasing trying to catch up today and did that same thing watched like the first two matches so that of like the, the day nine show so that I knew I only had three to watch plus the entire day ten show but you find a way to ration it and you find a way to make it work we're, uh, we're industrious as lot uh you haven't skipped a match yet have you jp i know uh i know joe's been no. skipping one or two but uh, i'm right through with you on all the tournament matches obviously not the not the tags well i was gonna say yeah th- there's yeah the tags well basically because i've been off work it's the tags have been on they've been going on while as per bloody usual i'm doing other things cleaning an oven this weekend <laughs> That's, that was that was something I managed to do during the undercard. It's a job I didn't like, but at the same time, it was made that bit easier. And when I saw when I heard um, Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks' names announced, I took a little break at that point. I thought, yeah, I'm gonna watch this. Love this, love their stuff throughout this Amazing. tournament as as well. Um, but it's been it's been a lot easier. This schedule has been a lot easier, and I imagine it, it seems to be like it's easier on the wrestlers as well. Hmm. Which you know we're only having to watch the fucking thing, but never <laughs> to actually do it. Oh, um, if you listen to John and Way like, like that, because they're doing podcasts every day and they're kind of covering most of the undercards. Like it, it, when you listen to their podcast, it sounds like they are actually just doing the G one rather than just re- re- reporting <laughs> yeah. on it. It's a it, broken it, men. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, they 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 kind of lighten they lighten up when they get to C block chat, but we'll get into that near the end. <laughs> uh, well, that's not. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they 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 pick up on that. That's one of the highlights of their G one coverage, I have to say. <laughs> um, but it it feels like I haven't had the fatigue, and I remember last year mm. that it was around the third week, and it might have been just one of the days, mm. and I can just remember Yoshihashi, Makabe, Makabe's a big some, one, someone else, and it's just like. 
obviously Farley and the like, but and, and Tamatonga. But there's le- so much less of the kind of forgettable matches. Mm. Like of the of the five block matches, most days you're guaranteed three matches that are worth watching while you're there. Mm. Um, and that's been, and I think that's just been a hell of a step up this year. Yeah, that's it. And the other ones have got Sonata and Evil in, but it's okay. I can live with that. <laughs> have you been feeling Evil's... a little juicy? Oh, go on. Yeah. I was just going to say, Evil's, he's been better than last year. There's been a couple of matches, but he'd match with Ibushi as mm. well. There we go. Have you been feeling Jamesy? Like I, I would say, like I know Joe was saying that he was feeling the fatigue this weekend. I wouldn't say fatigue for me. They weren't the best three shows. Um, mm. Definite highlights, but you know, the, some middling mid cards uh, to, for me uh, on a couple of these shows that made it a little bit tougher. But I think I'm with JP, and I'm not hugely feeling it. Have you been? Uh, you've been feeling much the same, or we are oh, pretty no, much I- at the halfway point now. I found it a complete breeze this year. Like, mm. definitely the easiest one to sit through. And it's the two things you guys said. I mean, the the, the, the scheduling, first of all. Like, mm. there were definitely times two or three years ago when you'd have maybe four four nights in a, in a row or, or possibly mm. even five. And if you were away for the weekend or, or if you were busy, like, you were completely chasing your tail straight away. Um, but... None of that this year. I've I've been staying on top of it, no problem at all. Like I've been managing to watch other wrestling, which in years gone by, it was basically the minute the G1 started, everything mm. else went out the window. But like I've been yeah. fitting in watching All Japan, OTT, you know. Um, so it's from that point of view, it's it, it's been great, you know. And definitely the fact that the duds, a lot of the duds, have been taken out of it. Like you name three there: Tamatonga, Makabe, Yoshihashi. Mm. You know, there's yeah. nothing at all. Like, I mean, we're complaining now about Goto matches and maybe Sonata matches, but like, they're still probably better than watching those guys. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. There's still something to get from their matches, whereas those guys were just turning up and having a match. Remember, yeah. like, Maccabee having his brawl and matches and doing the same thing every day. And, oh, just <laughs> not great. Yeah. So it's been great. I, I found it very, very easy. I think it's the variety as well that's helped this year. Like, I know, you mm-hmm. know, people say variety and what they mean is, you know, Yano did the comedy match, but we've got that. But also we've kind of got like the, the, the kind of different styles of wrestlers. You, you know, your Lance Archer's mm. doing great big man stuff. Kenta in there trying to revitalize his career. Moxley doing whatever Moxley's doing. There's just the A and the B block feel very different from one another. And generally speaking, the Knights have got at least a couple of different styles of matches. It, for me, that's kind of a, keeping me going as well. Yeah, there is. There's always, there, it always feels like there's something different. We were worried about that B block at the start of it. It's a worry. It looked like it had the potential to be good, but I remember one of the things we predicted was that Moxley would have some shockers mm. in there as well. That's not materialised. I think there's an element of people performing at a high level or above where they normally would be. And for a lot of them, they feel like they've gotten into a kind of a, a regular flow of good matches. I think Kenta has been one who's really benefited from that as as well. Um, and again, sorry, that goes goes kind of back to the scheduling, but it goes up to the kind of level of matches that they're having to do, but also being able to have a break to kind of rest up as well. Um, yeah, it's I've I've loved this. Yeah, this is this has been. I would have to say this is currently at this point at the halfway mark. This it's difficult to say is this the best first half for G1 because I think there's been other G1s with best better matches in that first half possibly or matches to rival what we've had so far. 
but the overall consistency is definitely up from last year. Mm. Well, now that you've said it, JP, let's talk about the weakest night of the tournament so far for me, dang it. Yes. <laughs> now that we've built it up. Uh, no, it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, not a exactly. huge amount to write home about. Day 8 was it was one of those B-block nights where, you know, it was fine, but not a huge amount there. Uh, started with Juice and Yano. All I've got for my notes is Yano tries to cheat Juice wins. Um, he kind of hit that house, <laughs> that hand of God, didn't he? And got the pulp friction, and it was kind of like, was it three minutes, maybe three and a half? We've had a couple of those types of yeah. Yano matches so far. I give it two stars and grapple because I don't know what to give it. I don't know if that's right or not. I don't know what I give it. I think I give a good Yano match three stars, a regular Yano match two and a half, and a relatively poor Yano match two stars. I think that's my Yano scale. Uh, I don't know if he broke the scale for either of you. Uh, regular Yano, I think I might have gone two and a half on this one because of the three minutes it was there, it was enjoyable. It's Yeah, Yano breaks your scales on this. I think the, the peak Yano you're going to get is four stars out of me. Mm. And I'm trying to think of what force. It might be one of those Minoru Suzuki ones that I just would have loved for whatever reason because of the storyline. But generally, I think if it's a one-star Yano match, it's like, look, really fucking avoid this. Mm. Don't have anything to do with it. But a two-star Yano match, you go, it's quick. You'll mm. see it. You'll laugh. And then it'll be over. Definitely. Anything more to add on that, James? What did you give it? Did he uh, break your scale? Nah, two and a half. And I, I, looking back at my Yano ratings, I've literally been between two and two and three quarters in all his matches. He's 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 unrateable, really. Like In yeah. a way, you, you nearly want to yeah. put him down just as non-rating because you feel bad nearly down. Like If you're talking at the end, he's going to be bottom of the list if you're averaging out your match ratings but mm. he's by no means the least enjoyable person in it like you know what I mean yeah. like I love mm. Yano and I like if you're a few days behind and you look at your schedule and see two Yano matches on it like you're laughing because that's <laughs> that's five <laughs> minutes down and you're two matches down straight away like yeah. so he to me he's a joy to have in the tournament but you can't be throwing three four no. three or four stars at him all the time because it's just yeah it's not yeah. It's, 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 it's unrateable, really, exactly, as you guys said. Definitely. Well, the Grapple uh, public gave it a 2 point... What are we on? 2.43, almost exactly, uh, to the point of 2.5. So I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the Yano scale. So can't argue too much with that. Definitely, maybe we'll have to have a way with Grapple and find out what Yano's highest rated match ever is and whether it actually broke the three-star barrier. But was what it was as an opener. Uh, followed by Goto and Taichi, which just looking at Grapple, that's actually got an average of 2.71, so actually not that much higher. Can't argue. I gave this two and a half. It was just so long. Lots of Taichi bullshit with his mic stand and just, for me, two very, very pointless men. I don't know if you're uh, any higher on Taichi and uh, Goto than the, the rest of us are in this podcast usually, Jamesy. Nah, two stars for me. Um, again, nothing to write home about. There was a really stupid thing in it. Um, Goto blocking kicks with his head. <laughs> oh, what in the name of God is that? Like complete nonsense. Well, if you're going to use someone's head, might as well use Goto's. It's only Goto. <laughs> yeah, you can block one of my kicks with his head if he wants. He he did a spot earlier in the tournament where he blocked punches with his head. And I went on Twitter and gave out about it, and everybody shouted me down because of some. Uh, if Joe was here now, he'd know some movie from the eighties, I think, where. He, he, this guy's trainer was telling him that the hardest part of your the hardest part of the body is the top of your head. So it's to Bryant Dennehy, but what's the film? Yeah, is it something like bit... Contender or something like that? Would that be right or something like that? Or is it a boxing film? 
with Brian Dennehy. I have no idea. I t- it looked to me like some kind of martial arts or fighting or boxing film or something like that. So fair enough blocking punches with your head, Grand. I'll concede on that, but I'm not conceding on blocking kicks with your head. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Gladiator, not to be confused. Gladiator, with the, that was it. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah. to be confused with the Ridley Scott, um, Russell Crowe film. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also a rather overrated yeah. film, but anyway. Uh, any thoughts on this one, JFU? Um, I looked at my notes for it this. It was a match. Um, it was, I, I basically, I, I'd gone to the trouble of writing underneath, just writing out the names. I had Goto versus Tai Chi. I'd underlined it, hadn't put it in bold. <laughs> and then there's nothing there. So it's like, it happened. I'm slightly annoyed I went to that probably three, four seconds of time that was really wasted on me typing that in the first place. <laughs> This is, although it's oh. fascinating, because I've given it two stars, and obviously we've spoken about Yano breaking the scale. At least in a Yano match, I am focused on everything that Yano does at yeah. the time he's in the ring to the to the end. I am absolutely focused on it because you know it's not going a long time. The, Yano's not going Broadway, is he? He's not. You know that that's not going to happen. Whereas here, um, it happens, and it just seemed to drag and i'm just wondering like did i watch this match because i watched well, the entirety of this card it happened but just from it it's just mm. completely missable it is the epitome of that kind of see, missable g1 matches we've we've spoken about earlier see i was just thinking the one thing you might remember is tai chi before the match beating up the lad dojo lads uh, and taking out yes i think it was carl fredericks and nick in his t-shirt and stomping on it i thought you'd get you being a rage from that jp i thought that might have uh, got you really going uh, is that why you only gave it two? You I beat, think you, you so. Your boys. I, I, I'm wondering if I didn't see that bit of his entrance, oh. whether or not I'd gone back to the cooker at that point to possibly <laughs> give it a, a soapy lathering, which it needed. <laughs> wasn't good. So maybe I missed that part of the entrance, came back, saw Goto and thought, fuck this. Oh, amazing. Yes. <laughs> How much of a nerd is Goto as well? Like he was presented here as 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 having been to the LA Dojo. He was a new man. He'd lost a bit of weight. He was going to have a real good run at this G one, and then he goes and loses to Tai Chi, and now he's one and three. Yeah. What a fucking nerd. He's fucking yeah. Goto. That's what he is. Uh, and that, that's a very Goto <laughs> thing to do. Uh, yeah. But he's... he'll have at least two cracking matches. Oh, he will. Some... He will. And Shit. then yeah. and none of us will remember them this time next year. That's Goto for you. Um, but, yeah, it got better. Next up, we had Shingo and Mox. Really enjoyed mm. this one. Gave this one 3.75 on Grapple. Uh, different kind of match for Moxley uh, than what he's been doing. A lot of knee work, or even if some of that knee work involved using a table to work over Shingo's knee. Um, yes. Kind of very one-sided as well. Surprised that he got the tap out with the, the clover leaf, and it was just kind of Moxley working over the knee, working over the knee, working over the knee, and I was kind of expecting some kind of twist, and there just wasn't, there really wasn't one. He just won. He kind of went over strong, but in a match with a what I thought was a good little story and a very different match for, for Moxley. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Sort of thinking about Shingo's story in this tournament, like it's it's sort of very clear that they've set him up as this really incredible junior who is just struggling to get used to the idea that his big power moves aren't going to have the same effect on heavyweights as it did in the junior division and him kind of trying to come to terms with it. Um, but the crowds are with Shingo in this as well. And, and I, I really enjoyed it apart from the fact of the less of the chairs and the gimmicks and stuff like that. 
like his overall um like his work on the mat i i really enjoyed the knee work throughout this and and shingo was over as that sympathetic baby face as well even though moxley feels like the aura he's kind of in there is you know it's the closest that they're going to get for i don't know Hanson or Brody at this stage in the game. He just feels like the, the, the crowd are sort of in awe of him at this point. I really enjoyed it. So I went four stars on it mm. um, because it's not necessarily the longest, one of the longest matches. I think it only goes about sort of 10, 12 minutes. But yeah, go out of your way to watch this one. Definitely. What do you give it, Jamesy? Well, lads, this is where my slightly unusual tastes and maybe a bit contrarian oh. tastes come out because okay. this is Five my stars. match that- tournament wow. match of the tournament so far honest to god i gave this four and a half stars um and the reason i liked it so much is because how different it was to the rest of the tournament like we're watching all the we've watched what 50 matches now so far in a short space of time mm, and there's geez. a new japan there's a new japan style that's it, it can get a bit repetitive and kind of gets a bit wearing on me sometimes all the finisher reversals and that kind of thing and this match was completely different it was um i will always gravitate towards a match where there's a bit of limb work and especially when the limb work plays into the finish like that's really the kind of wrestling that i love to watch um and like i, I just thought moxley like the range that he's showing at this stage now since he left wwe is incredible like He's done brawls. He's done hardcore matches. He did a shoot style match there in Vegas just before the G1. And now he's mm-hmm. dabbling in limb work and scientific wrestling. Like the range <laughs> is incredible, you know, like yeah. it's unbelievable. And it was it was the aggression and the very varied ways he went about going after the leg. Like he, he used a chair on the outside, he used a table, like he said. He broke out a dragon screw. And it felt like the, the thing about Moxley that I really enjoy is there's a great urgency about him in these matches like does you feel like he's a guy that's trying to win these matches and also win them as quickly as possible because he realizes he's in a marathon of a tournament and he's just trying to get his business done as fast as he can and shingo here for for me like i I think the selling that he did of that leg was a master class like i'll always enjoy i always look for little fine details in matches and like to me the way he sold the leg was perfect like you'll see some people when they're setting a limb or, or selling offense and it's just too over the top. Like they're nearly beating you over the head with it. Mm. And here it was just pitched at the right level where it was consistent. It was logical. Never forgot about the leg. Like there's that great spot that people do where um, Moxley tried to do an Irish whip on him and he tried to run to the ropes, but the leg was so damaged that he just crumbled to the mat. You know, um, there was another little moment where he had, you know, that movie does the Noshigami where he kind of has a guy up on his back. Mm. And while he was doing it, the injured leg was kind of trembling and it was like the leg was nearly going to buckle underneath him. It was so hurt. And to me, like, that's the kind of wrestling that I like. And especially in a tournament like this where there aren't many matches like this, I'm always going to kind of reward a match like this a little bit more than, than the usual New Japan style, you know. Um, and even the, it was a really cool spot where Shingo, Mox goes for the running knee. And Shingo kind of catches him hauls him up for the made in japan oh, and brilliant. it wasn't done in, yeah it wasn't mm. done in the super smooth way that a lot of the stuff in new japan is mm. like your stuff. it was rough and it was the way a fight should be you know what i mean it was mm. rough it was clumsy it was awkward he basically deadlifted him up and hit the move you know and and to me it's just a match that stands out for being logical telling a simple story but I, I, I executed at a really high level and a thing that I really appreciate in wrestling is when I feel like wrestlers have really thought about what they're doing. Like, you know what I mean? And the mm. thought that Shingo put into this match, thinking about the different ways he could get across the work that, that Moxley had done on the leg. And it's the kind of match that wrestling trainers should be shown to young wrestlers, I think. 14-minute mm. match, 
look how much they achieved in that match. They got Moxley over as 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 a kind of a cerebral wrestler. Shingo gets himself over just from the amazing performance that he had. And I just loved it. And as I said, just for being so different and so different to most of the other things we're seeing in this tournament, mm. I've had at the top of my list for this tournament so far. Well, I don't know about you, JP, but I feel like I'm regretting my 3.75. No, I think Jamesy's taught me into yeah. falling off. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll uh, stick to your guns, lad. Stick to your guns. <laughs> well, it, 3.97 is the average on grapple. But, yeah. Um, I, I, fully accept, I fully accept that I'd be way above the average on this, but that's just me. Like, there's certain things that will always kind mm. of really, really mm. get Can't me, argue. get my interest in wrestling. And it's stuff like this, you know. So it's mm. great that we have a tournament with so much variety that you'll get a match like this, you know. Definitely. Exactly. I, I think the one... The, only one thing for me if if he wasn't doing the table stuff mm-hmm. like if he didn't does he does he need that necessarily in his in his matches but that that's a very minor point on a match that is worth it, that i'm going to go and watch again because yeah <laughs> listen to it with james you're doing the missed. alternative commentary um uh, oh, like, like the ogdens <laughs> on tidal uh, <laughs> yeah. they have some great lines on that if anyone hasn't heard i uh, must watch that actually yeah yeah there was a pile driver on sugar dunkerton and and uh, i think jeff goes he's not going to need a scarf for christmas and, <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't seen all of it yet, I must confess, but yeah, they, <laughs> oh, they do a cracking job. What a gang of lads. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, who'd, who'd have thought we'd see Moxley in a potential match of the tournament for you, Jamesy? Like, I wouldn't have called that going in. Um, do you remember yeah. we talked about him on the BWE? He left WWE the day we recorded. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, to, we, we were shrugging our shoulders going, ah, <laughs> he hasn't had a match, good match in years. He probably won't be any good. And like, to me, he's the number one guy in the tournament at the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah, both in kayfabe and yeah. in, uh, from a match point yeah. of view. With maybe, maybe some competition from uh, from our will, but definitely oh, in his block. Yeah, definitely the man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say that MVP conversation is. Uh, there's another quiet one as well that we'll get on to as well at some point. Definitely. Uh, next up, match we probably got a, a bit less to say about uh, Jay White and Jeff Cobb. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know what, Joe's not here, so I can say I kind of like Jay White this year. Those little things he does, like where Jeff Cobb went for a, for a, for a nip up, and he kind and Jay White just grabbed his hair, and you almost couldn't see it. The commentary yeah, had to talk it out. Those little little dickish heel things, he is getting very good at. Mm. Um, the, the little kick out he did, where he didn't quite kick out fully, he just kind of popped his shoulder up at like a weird angle. Yeah. Uh, I do, I do, I do get a little bit of value out of out of Jay White these days. I don't get much out of Jeff Cobb. Um, He's fine. He's a guy in the tournament that it doesn't feel like anything matters to him. Like, because he just he just doesn't show any emotion. So, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to mean, like, I, I, you know, it's a it's a goofy wrestling tournament about points, but at least act like you want to win the points. You know, at least act like it means something when you win and lose. He's just the guy out there having matches for me. So, he dragged this one down a little bit for me. Um, I went three and a half on it, but I did think Jay White's work was very good. Um, and overall, it was uh, solid enough. You know, I was going to say that, uh, you know, the way Joe has his, his footballer analogies for everybody. And yeah. I came up with a footballer analogy for Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb is the Romelu Lukaku of New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> oh, wow. Because <laughs> look, at, look at the size of Lukaku. Like, he is built like a heavyweight boxer. He should be yeah. going into matches dominating defenders you know he should be unmarkable and he's not you know um mm. and the same as Cobb he's all the physical ability in the world but it's, you mm. just don't see it in his match quality mm. and even to the point of um like when Lukaku was at a lower level when he was playing for West Brom and that kind of thing 
he was banging in goals and he was performing at that level. And I'm told, I don't watch Ring of Honor, but I'm told that in Ring of Honor, Jeff Cobb was really good, apparently. But then he gets to the big stage. This is what I've heard. Also, I'm glad you didn't say Abbott, by the way. Hello, the applicant. Oh, you see, I was being kind to you. I was being (laughs) kind to you, Benno. I didn't want to abuse your team. (laughs) But then he got to the big big stage at United and Mm. he's been a little bit underwhelming. Like, even to the point that there was a match at the end of the season where Lukaku was playing. I think they, they stuck him on the right wing. And he, for 10 minutes, he was like a house on fire. And then he got completely winded and he couldn't move for the rest of the half. And that's that's the way sometimes Cobb does that as well. You see him in his matches. Yeah. And after five or ten minutes, he looks like he's out of breath and he looks like he can't keep up with these guys. You know what I mean? So just like you said, Benno, like he's lacking <laughs> charisma. There's no fire. There's no emotion about the guy. Why should I care about his matches when he's doing nothing to make me care? You yeah. know what I mean? And like you could say he's he's improving slightly as the tournament goes on, but like, I, I'm finding him kind of hard work, you know what I mean? And I went 3.25 on this. And again, like, the 0.25 is for Cobb and the 3 was for White because, like <laughs> you said, he, the, the White was excellent. Like, mm. the, the little things he's like, White isn't racking up the points in terms of having great matches, but his his individual performances, I think, have been fantastic. And like you said, the hair pull was amazing. Mm. And that other thing that he was nudging, remember he he had he was trying to get Cobb over for the side of suplex? Mm. And he kept nudging him to get Cobb to kind of throw an elbow back so he'd shift his weight and then he was able to use the momentum to throw him back for the suplex. And that wasn't something I spotted in the match, but the commentary actually pointed it out. It was an amazing piece of commentary, actually, because, again, it's the commentary kind of pointing out the things that you can't see if you're not in the building, you know what I mean? So, Mm. yeah, as I said, you know, in spite of all the the giving out that Joe does about White, I'm enjoying him in this tournament and I think he's he's playing his character and his role very well, I think. Mm. Definitely. Uh, how about you, JP? Uh, any other footballer uh, comparisons? Any thoughts on Lukaku? I mean, I feel I feel like he might come. He's only eight and a half million in fancy football this year, Jamesy. I'm, I'm tempted oh, to buy him. Uh, I feel like he could make a comeback. Uh, he's uh, he's going up to Italy. Yeah, he's going to go to Italy. Oh, he's is gone. he leaving? Oh, well, damn. Yeah, I'm 99 sure he, he's he's gone. Like, uh, I'll, uh, I'll put on my face in, in Sanchez instead. Then he's only. Oh Jesus! I don't know Jesus about that. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, the Nicholas Ars- Pepe, mate. Although I'll the believe Arsenal, it when I- the Arsenal fucked us over with that deal. Right, <laughs> mate. I, I'll believe Van that deal has happened again. when I see him with the scarf at the Emirates. Otherwise, every, like a lot of things that comes from Arsenal Football Club, it, a lot of it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> like so, I'm very, very sceptical even to this point. It, although when David Ornstein tweets something, generally I, I uh, kind of Bible, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. When he says it, then it's true. Then, it, <laughs> then it's happening. Um. So, yeah, thinking of uh, Jay White, uh, I, I was going to say football analogy-wise, the one that actually always comes by is Arsenal, but I need a bit more time to think on it. Again, n- next week, I'll come up with proper set of football analogies. We can go through the entire Premier League. Because there's uh, <laughs> 20, 20, 20 wrestlers, 20 teams in the Premier League, so oh, we can go be. that way. I, the only thing I, I the thing I would say, I agree with you with White on the character work. That has gotten better. I don't know whether or not it's ever since he's got the beard, because that seems to be where some of the improvement is is definitely there. Hmm. And the the kind of the interactions are nice. His matches, um, there's there's still that feels like there's that bit of a ceiling on them for me at the moment. Um, I think we've all been more about, and even Joe has been more upbeat about Jay White. I'm not sure if he likes this match at all. For me, it felt though as as a match kind of forgettable i gave it three stars and i think it's cobb who you've kind of summed up a lot of the issues that that jeff cobb has 
I was thinking back to when I first saw Jeff Cobb and, and in that match with Matt Riddle, he had a, a super strong style and how great he was. But there was a kind of a freshness to him then because I hadn't seen mm. him that much. And it just doesn't feel like he's moved on since then. Yeah. So, you know, the counters into the tour of the islands and the rest of it are like kind of things that seem spectacular in first viewing that aren't there. And he hasn't got that fire. And really, this would have been like, say, the Michael Elgin role uh, in previous years. And there's one thing that he has, he had in a lot of his sort of G1 matches, Elgin, was a lot of fire. And that's the thing that seems to be completely missing from him. Yeah, I like take that. Elgin over him. Yeah, I would. Yeah, mm. yeah I, I kind of have them pegged at a similar level, but you're right. I think, and the other thing with Elgin is he connected so well with the Japanese audience yeah. that that yep. kind of made the difference. I mean, not that Cobb's not getting over, but he's just the guy, isn't he, uh, in the tournament at this point, is where he's in the biggest shot window possible, and he should be, should definitely be shining uh, more than he is. But yeah, solid, uh, definitely not spectacular, and just a match really, which kind of led into our main event, uh, Ishii and Naito. Like I would say, for me, one of the most, and we're going to get into lots more positive stuff soon. One of the most forget forgettable great matches I've ever seen. Like <laughs> I'd still, I'd <laughs> still give it like three seven five or four. Uh, I didn't actually rate it on Grapple. I think I, I, I was tempted to give it four. I'd probably say 3.75 at this point because it's Ishii and Naito and they can go out and have these matches and the crowd can be bang into the near falls and bang into, you know, kind of the evenly paced kind of crowd splitting type of match these two have where they basically try and kill each other and then this time next month, I couldn't tell you to think about it and, and, and I won't even remember it even happened. That's kind of... For me, that's Ishii and Naito in a nutshell when they have these kind of matches. I don't know if uh, either you are any more charitable on this one than me. No, I I didn't like mm. it. I didn't particularly like it. No, I had 3.25. Oh, wow. I had it quite low. Really? Yeah, just, I, I'm just not liking Naito in this tournament. Um, I, he feels really stale to me. And it feels like he kind of sleepwalks, sleepwalks through matches and tournaments these days. Um, it feels like they missed the boat in terms of striking when the iron is hot with oh, him. And definitely. like since since that defeat against Okada, like how many great matches has Naito had in the last say in in the last year and a half since that since that that Wrestle Kingdom? Like it, it's not that many great great matches that you'd kind of remember. Like th th there are matches like this where the work is 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 good and it's okay, but it's like. I think it's kind of one of these ones where my feelings and Naito kind of probably have biased my my raising a little bit. Like, you know, they did Naito stuff and they did Ishii stuff, but it just wasn't for me. Like, and to me, definitely not Ishii's weakest match of the tournament so far, I'd say. Mm. How about you, JP? Yeah, I I liked it more than you did, Jamesy. I and mean, I went four stars mm. on this one. Okay, yeah. I That's about generally, the average too. Yeah, I did. It felt like a bit of a disappointment because it was the main event and it's Ishii and been loving Ishii in the tournament much like, like everybody else. But it, it felt like I can kind of see your point, though, on Naito where the kind of doubts about Naito are there. Now, maybe that could hopefully be playing into the storyline of it where he suddenly has kind of jolted out and hopefully get a sort of really good run of matches from him if he's going to be involved in those he's in those last sort of couple of Budokan any kind of substantial way, then he's gonna need to have a kind of couple of really big matches. Um yeah, it it does make me wonder whether or not they need to do something about getting the edge back into the into the Naito character. 
because that for me is, is something that's me and maybe that's how I feel possibly about LIJ overall as a stable mm. where I kind of feel like um, I don't know if it's anything to do with Hiromu going away probably not but it feels like I'm just more down on them it feels like okay I've been there I've done this it doesn't feel like Shingo feels like a natural part of LIJ so yeah I, I don't know as a match I enjoyed it when I was watching it for what it was and then it ended and there's not really too much necessarily you've seen this match if you remember the match they had on the um, US tournament it feels very similar to that except she went over that night definitely yeah another one of their matches where yeah we're not going to be talking about it anytime soon I I was watching it thinking oh no is is G1 fatigue coming in Um, thankfully we Mm. moved over to the A block the next night and that that pulled me back but yeah it's just one of those kind of forgettable G1 matches but yeah to get into it the next night day 9 we're back to the back to the A block the uh, definitely the better of the two blocks even if B blocks had some uh, some underrated bangers and we started with Genuinely one of my favourite matches of the tournament, uh, Lance Archer and, uh, and Kota Ibushi. I don't know what it is, I think I could just watch this kind of match all day. Uh, kind of Archer kind of working over the leg and being a bit of a bully and just being basically the kind of the dick big guy. Uh, and Ibushi trying to fight back and he hit that awesome uh, double knees counter to the derailleur, which is a great name. I love oh, the pounce, yeah. but derailleur yeah. is a great name. Uh, he got some great near falls, took some nasty landings off uh, Archer's own Kamagoya in a choke slam. Uh, it was just, it was a great big band little man match. Thought Ibushi showed lots of fire, and it was just another for me, another tip of the cap to uh, to our mate Lance Archer. JP, we're definitely getting him on for an interview with you at some point. Uh, we we titled the episode. <laughs> oh, well up for that. We titled the episode. Hoytamania last week, so it's got to be done. Uh, I don't know, James. Are you, are you in on the uh, the Lance Archer loving with us this year, or are we uh, out to lunch? Oh no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like it, it seems strange to say it about a guy who's fifteen years into his career or more, but like he feels like the breakout mm. star of the tournament, doesn't he? Like because he was he's a guy who for years languished in the tag division and, and did nothing for anybody. I don't think, and mm. the hunger he's shown, the urgency he's shown, like the guy's work and his. Ass- you can see he's really trying to get himself a spot, you know, a, a, a regular kind of a high high up spot on the card, and like he's he's so with my opponents. Like every time he wrestles in a Bushi and an Osprey, it's just magic, you know, and breaking out new offense. Like I, I think this is actually the best match of the night. I just think mm. they great chemistry. That Kamagaya that you mentioned, that the one that he hit, like when when Ibushi had him set up for the Kamagaya and he hit his own instead. Like he absolutely destroyed Ibushi oh. with it. And the way Ibushi took it, the way Ibushi takes people's yes. striking is unreal. Like, yeah. He, he threw like you'd swear a bus at hit him. Like he literally <laughs> threw himself back. The, 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 when he does that bump, dead face on him, yeah. yeah, yeah. The bump he took was incredible. You know, making Archer's offense look so great. You know what I mean? And uh, the finish I thought was was brilliant. Like the way he, like how much? Like usually the Kamagaya hits. He hits that on people and it's one and done. You know what mm. I mean? But he hits it on Archer and Archer doesn't go down. And the look of shock on Ibushi's face, he's like, his jaw drops. Mm. And he's like, okay, rolls down the knee pad, hits him with the second one without the knee pad. And a finish that puts them both over, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, Mm. Ibushi gets the win, but Archer being a guy that has to, that, that you have to put, you have to hit him twice with your finisher before he goes down. Like, just 
ticks every box that match. I, I gave it four and I'm kind of thinking maybe I could have gone higher again, you know what I mean? Just mm. tell that I'm talking about it. But yeah, excellent match. Really, really, really enjoyable. Yeah, 4.25 for me yeah. and even I'm thinking I could have gone higher. Well, yeah. um, Glenn Torch has gotten the claw over, so... You know, there's not much there that man can't yeah. do in this tournament. But yeah, he was a great bully in this match. And yeah, Kota Ibushi was great as well, wasn't he, JP? Absolutely. I mean, I think you guys have, have kind of summarised how much fun it's been watching Lance Archer in this tournament. This, not to this level, was this expected. And it's been really great to watch. And he's so over. To the point where I think his next match is up against Akada it would possibly make sense to have him going over a carder, but we'll, we'll get potentially onto that later on because yeah. there's something about this, this guy that he is, you know, I mentioned earlier on about like um, Moxley having that kind of ghost of Brody and Hanson about him. Archer's definitely channeling that and it's working and connecting. And it's just like, he's such a bundle of energy and the athleticism. I mean, his back was pretty wrecked not that long ago. And his athleticism is is just incredible. Love that ending with the having to do the second Kamagoye. Yeah, every I, small little thing. I still think he could do the EBD uh, claw into some sort of choke slam type maneuver. Mm. That's that's me. But outside of that, I went four stars on this. And much like you, two, I'm thinking, a, I want to see this again, and b, yeah, I might have to go. But do you know that's a common thing with Lancer matches? As soon as we start talking about them, get really excited by them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all I in on the beat in Okada now. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll you know, I think it's the most emotionally invested I'll be in an Okada match in this tournament now is him. Because, I mean, that's a fresh match you could do then later in the year, you know? Well, I suppose from that and all the enthusiasm we've got for, for Lance Archer slash Hoyt, kind of went to like mm-hmm. the... The worst version of this match <laughs> we went from we went from that to Osprey and Farley, and you know you mentioned Okada, and you mentioned you know Lance Archer could go over him. I'd be, you know, Okada's never had a problem in the past with jobbing for bad luck Farley, but I'll much rather take it with it being a Lance Archer because yeah, this was just an example of same dynamic, big guy, flyer, one of the best in the world against one of the worst in the world. Uh, instead, though. And yeah, just a, a much worse version of the previous match. I like that they got heat and did the interference from the start. I kind of enjoyed the the red shoes, fuck you, DQ. But yeah, if uh, anyone uh, thought that uh, the poor Will Ospreay wasn't going to have a match less than three stars in this tournament, uh, they hadn't uh, really considered the uh, the potential of this uh, this bad luck Farley match. Uh, I went, uh, I think I went exactly 2.75 on it. Um, and even then I felt like I was being a bit generous just because Will Ospreay was in the match. Grapple users went two. 2.15 then if uh, either of you are closer to that i went one wow <laughs> uh, i went 2.25 i just i hated everything about this match mainly because you're spoiling it with osprey match more than anything you know what i mean mm. uh, and even the dq i hated because why now is there a dq when all the bullshit that's happened in so many matches in the t- tournament and all the bullshit that's going to happen in so many matches that you know won't be disqualified so what this match we get a dq you know what i mean it's 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 the one frustrating thing about like new japan pro wrestling they're meant to be presenting wrestling as sport king of sports and then you have the like the amount of stuff that's let go and the amount that isn't disqualified and then we have this match where all 
sudden the ref comes like suddenly Red Shoes is watching this match from the back where he's not watching any other matches and it's like maybe they should have watching all the matches from the back <laughs> if there's so many you know like there's interference in, in Bay White matches there's interference in matches True. they never get disqualified you know mm. what I mean so it's 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 just yeah I, I just I think in a fit of rage at the fact that Osprey had had such a disappointing because I, I honestly thought in my head it would be it would have been a great part of, of Osprey's wrestler of the year case if he could have got a 3.5 out of Valet, you know what I mean? That, 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 <laughs> that would be as good as him getting 4.5 out of a lot of wrestlers, you know what I mean? But they didn't even give him the chance to have a good match here. Like, it was just a load of bullshit. And then a DQ, when DQs aren't a thing in the promotion. So, yeah, I just gave it one star, I think. It was just the whole thing annoyed me, really. Wow. How about you, JP? Uh, yeah, a 2.25 on it. it Osprey's not a fucking magician. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the notes I've got on here. It didn't last as long as it could have done. The, but I agree. The DQ stuff just felt like bullshit. It's so inconsistent. And that's something that they they need to get back on track. Because it's, it, you know, it's so frustrating, um, you know, when, when they do round with the rules like that. And then sometimes... Listen, Sometimes they do a count out and sometimes they don't when they're brawling through the crowd. I say those kind of things bother, bother me as well. Pray to God this is the last time we see Farley in a G1. We can't do another year of this. Oh, yeah, he has to. Yeah. yeah, he has to. Like, honestly to God, like, there are other big men in the world. Let him run the Farley Ojo. He's doing good stuff with what he's actually doing outside of the. Let him do that. Mm, definitely. We just talked about Lance Archer, and yeah, that's the type of guy you want to see in that role, isn't it? I think yeah. far, far, two years ago, there was two, we, Farley was done. Like, as much as I don't like him, I'd even take Tamatonga in this role over Farley at this point. Um, yeah, if you, can't, mm. if you can't have a great match with Will Ospreay at this point, then there's not much that At least with Tamatonga, you get movement. And you get that theme song as well, which is all right. You know, I quite like the new one. Yeah, that's, I do. <laughs> Like twice it. this year he's had a bad match with Will Ospreay not even one. Oh god yeah Once he had a, he he had a new Japan well. match as well yeah. that wasn't great oh, so he has, he, has the, he has the distinction of having two bad matches with Will Ospreay in 2019 so in I mean, his career that'll yeah. tell you all you need to know definitely yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. and also say as well one thing I had flashbacks to watching this is it kind of reminded me of Ospreay Vader and seeing that <laughs> except, except that was like Osprey a crazy way better than this <laughs> he was and it was a much crazier atmosphere but it was like yeah, I suppose it's like a shit Osprey Vader. <laughs> there you go. That's You're worse it. than... How old, how old was Vader in that match? 50, 60? I want to say he was about 62. And like three worse years from Worse than death. a 62-year-old Vader. Wow. My God, yeah. Pete, Pete Dunn did a run-in on his behalf that night. What a wild world that was. At the time. <laughs> God, it's like a different lifetime. It, it is. Yeah. You should do a retro show at some point and go back and uh, review that show. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> give our lab, the lab perspective uh, but yeah if you're getting compared to, to two years prior to death Big Van Vader then uh, yeah I don't know if there's, uh, there's <laughs> much down for you unfortunately but anyway <laughs> <laughs> moving on uh, next up we had Zack Sabre Jr. and Evil uh, <laughs> most notable for uh, Zack Sabre Jr. continuing his, uh, his losing storyline and cutting the mother of all tantrums and the mother of all promos after the show about Boris Johnson, which was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, really, really enjoyed that element of it. 
solid match. I think I gave it three and a half uh, on Grapple. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. Uh, but yeah, for me, more about the uh, the the outtakes afterwards than and the uh, the continuing Zack Saber story than the uh, the actual match itself. Yeah, exactly. Like you, I, I think I enjoyed this match in the later stages of it as well. But um, at the same time, like Zach, I, I'm just loving where this potentially could go to and what I'm hoping that they do with it. That effectively, that these losses are kind of down to that sort of ar- arrogant attitude. And what he needs is that sort of bit of Minoru Suzuki killer in. And uh, at this point, he he might end up, you know, losing the Rev Pro title, you know, but then at that point sort of coming back more of a killer character. I think I'm wonder I'm hoping that's the direction they go with it. He's an example of someone who isn't actually he's not losing anything, even though we've not seen that really great Zack Sabre Jr. match in the tournament yet. I still think we're we're waiting on that. But his character work has been tremendous to watch. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, and I'll say it as well. I went three and a half on this. I've been quietly enjoying Evil in this tournament. Wow. So for me, you know, I'm a big Zach fan. It kind of ticks a lot of boxes. I found this quite an easy watch. How about you, Jamesy? Yeah, 3.5. Spot on, same as you, lads. Just just a, a solid match. 15-minute um, mm. Zach Sabre Jr. match. It's hard for him to have bad matches because all he has to do is take over and do his stuff and I'll be entertained. I'll throw three and a half at that all day, you know what I mean? Um, there was some few real nice spots in it. There was, um, you know, that that ref assist thing that Evil does where he kind of throws his opponent's leg oh, to, yeah. the, to the referee mm. and then Zach turned it into a knee bar. I thought that was a really nice spot. Um, and then there was Evil himself even pulled off a nice little reversal into a Scorpion Deathlock at one point as well. So, yeah, really good. They, they have good chemistry, the two of them, and they've always actually, they had a few singles matches earlier in the year, I think, and they've always, surprisingly well, you know, for a power guy and a kind of a technical guy, they met, they mesh well together. Like, But, but yeah, as you said, Benno, the highlight has to be the post match interview <laughs> the absolute burial of Boris Johnson but but like even on a, from a wrestling side like it it gets the importance of the tournament over an awful lot when you have a guy throwing tantrums like this that he's so upset that he's losing matches that he's crying like a petulant child on the ground like you know what I mean it, mm. it, it, it makes things mm. feel important you know what I mean and what I really liked in that post-match interview was when he said like he's actually as far as I know he's mathematically eliminated now yeah, but he basically said that from now on, his goal in the tournament is to ruin his opponent's chances, and I think that's just a really clever little thing to throw in there. So yes, I'm out of the tournament, but like, there's still a reason to watch my matches. I still have a goal in mind. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, just a clever little thing that he throws in there to kind of, you know, it, it will be very easy for us to kind of forget about him now in the tournament. But and it also gets over like again. Like he's nearly baby facing himself by by doing the Boris Johnson stuff, mm. but then by saying this, like you're reminded that he's still this kind of petty asshole, like who mm. who wants to ruin other people's chances as much as anything else. You know what I mean? So That's yeah, it. excellent, really good character work, and like something that hasn't been his strong suit. Maybe through said character work was a great thing that, that Zach Sabre Jr. did but now he's really developing that side of his character as well like it is just great to see him becoming a complete kind of all-around wrestler now you know 
Definitely, that's it. And I would say, like, he's a baby face, but he's a baby face to us, thousands of miles away. Uh, I wonder what they do make of him in Japan with his burials of uh, Boris Johnson and his. Uh, but he posted like a, a Photoshop of because he's facing Will Ospreay, isn't he? Of uh, Will Ospreay uh, turned into Boris um, just to give himself some motivation for that match as well. I mean, yeah, the less said about these working class Tories, JP, the better. But yeah, I thought that was a nice little touch as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, great stuff. And yeah, that's a. Uh, that's a promo you might have heard a little bit about uh, on this show already. But from there, we went to Tanahashi and Sonata. Um, solid semi-main event, I thought. A little bit slow in pace, but it was one of those big Tanahashi selling exhibition matches. I thought Sonata was solid as the other guy. You know, if anything, you know, his execution, apart from his own finish, is solid. He's, you know, he's a good, he's obviously, you know, a high level athlete in there. He doesn't look particularly interested at any point, but he's always over. Crowd were into it. And, you know, I thought it was one of those good Tanahashi fighting from underneath matches, um, if not a hugely spectacular one. I went three and a half. Uh, Jamesy, how about you? I went two on it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I I can't stand Sonata at this stage. <laughs> I just find him the most frustrating wrestler in the whole world like we're we're supposed to believe that sonata is this super wrestler who has a match with zack saber jr and <laughs> completely matches him on the mat yeah. so he's zack saber's equal as a technical wrestler then he has a match with will osprey and he's he's meant to be able to hang with will osprey as a high flyer he does this with Tanahashi where he's kind of matching him technically and and doing limb work and that kind of thing and it's like if we were to believe Sonata, how does he ever even lose a match? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, if he's sure. good at everything, you know what I mean? And then the reality is, like, we're told that he's a super smooth wrestler who's technically gifted, but then there's these really clunky moments of awkwardness and matches. Like, there were spots in that match that were embarrassing, like, where he went for a kick and kicked in there, and he did that moonsault where he completely missed Bushi, even though Bushi rolled out of the way anyway. He had key moments with Osprey, and in this match, there was a sequence at the end that was really bad, like where he he was doing reversals of the Paradise Lock, and I think they were going to try and do a sling blade out of it, and they both just kind of fell to the ground. And it's like he, in every single match, he's having really bad business exposing moments where, you know, everything we're about him doesn't seem to be true. And I just, again, I think it's a bit like the Naito match where I kind of. I'm so kind of disillusioned with the wrestler that I find it hard to give. And like for me to be giving a Tanahashi match lower rating is a big like because for me Tanahashi is still maybe the best wrestler in the entire company. You know what I mean? Like I love him to bits. So for me to give a Tanahashi match two stars will tell you an awful lot about what I think of Sanad. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually my favorite thing about the whole match was one of the young lines, and he was he was on the ring apron for the whole match, and he wasn't getting the crowd into the match. He was repeatedly uh, beating the fans. I think it was. Yota Tsuji, I think. And he, he was the most impressive guy in the match. Area. He was the one that had my interest more than the match was going on because, yeah, this is one of those ones where my eye kind of glazed over after a while. And I just don't like Sonata and, and I don't see what the hype is. And I find the level to which he's over baffling. It's you know, weird, isn't it? I mean, like, he, he, they love him. Mm. Like, they really, really love him. Mm. And, like, pe- people who, who, who like him say his, his personality is improving. Is like, he which, which personality? Uh, he climbs the ropes. 
Exactly. He climbs the ropes and he cups his ears. That, that's not personality, like, you know what I mean? But, like, in fairness to him, it's all he has to do to get cheered. Like, they clearly love him. And even on the Dallas show, he was completely over. Like, so maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm the guy who's kind of on an island on this, but... I just don't see it with this guy. Like, and I dread, like, I, I do think that they're going to put the title on him in future years. Like, and I dread the day when he's the IWGP champion, like, because yeah. God, like, like even, even the, those Okada matches earlier in the year. Ah, oh, they just, I thought they'd yeah. be long, aimless matches. Just, he's just not for me. And he's just, he's just really not my cup of tea. Care to be the Sonata defense squad, JP? Uh, or... <laughs> oh, I, as a match, I mean, I think the thing I took from it was probably me just basking in the glory that is still Tanak and just incredulous that he's able to move at all, given what the state of his knees might knees appear to be at this stage. Um, Sonata matches, I think, like, and I, I've given it three and a half, and I, I don't want to go back and necessarily watch this again, <laughs> but I suspect I just glazed over it to a degree that Sonata was the other person in the match. That's how I thought, you shouldn't yeah. be feeling that way. And, and you mention it really about the disconnect at times that happens between a product that's primarily aimed to a Japanese audience. How the, that, you know, we see Sonata and go, yeah, this feels like he has all of these, what apparently has these tools in order to kind of fulfill the, the main event spot, but he doesn't feel like a main event at all. And, yeah, there's there's lots of these, and he he needs a change up. Mentioned it before about like mentioned about that sort of the staleness around Nine Jamesy. I mean, I, I can't feel that way necessarily with Sonata. I imagine you, you both do as well. There has to be some element of sort of personality to grasp onto, which at least Naito has that thing that that Sonata himself could could really just desperately needs but I don't know how they do that because Naito to fuck off Mexico in order to develop that mm. so yeah. yeah but I've gone three and a half on it yeah. so it must be alright <laughs> I couldn't remember though uh, that's that you on fatigue setting in uh, but yeah, yeah you're not going to find uh... I think I'm just getting grumpy yeah <laughs> no, some if... of these low ratings I'm just yeah like this uh, two stars I think it's <laughs> yes. fair to be honest because you're not going to find the Sadada fan on this podcast yeah we're all very much in agreement on him he's a guy uh, and you're right James it's baffling how over he is at times and that people do see this big star potential in him because um, you could bluff me on that two years ago but you can't now um, but yeah that's it Im and Evil definitely the low points for me in this block um, mm. even if those low points are just really average matches even if I don't think anything's particularly terrible uh, they're just not very exciting at this point but hey ho to each their own um, but yeah into our, our main event uh, Kenta and Okada this was something I really did enjoy Um I am not someone who, who's going to say you know I'm this big Kenta fan and I'm made up to see him making this big comeback I've Liked Kenta, seen him live a couple of times as Kenta, you know, back in the ROH days and, you know, seen, you know, his big Noah matches and seen him shit the bed on 205 Live and maybe got a little bit of investment in, you know, seeing him redeem himself, but not as much as everybody else. This is my favorite Kenta match that I've I've seen in years and years. I loved it. I was above the grapple average, so I'm expecting to be above the average on on this podcast as well. Because um, for me, I just I don't. I think it's Kenta's kind of recklessness is probably maybe a word, but just his stiffness on the strikes, the knee drops, the kicks, just the general 
battering that Okada took in this match. Kenta kind of took lots of it on offense, and I really enjoyed it. I was into it, and it was your long Okada match stretching the uh, the thirty limit time limit, but one where I didn't lose interest at any point. Um, I was big into it. Maybe it was missing a big finishing stretch at the end that stopped me from going any higher than I did. I went four and a half. I was somewhere between oh, wow. four point two five and four and a half. Maybe a, a Joe Lanza four and a third might have been uh, been more hmm. appropriate. Uh, again, I recognise I'm well above the average. You know, the average on Grapple is 4.2. Uh, but I really enjoyed those. So it was a really good style match between the two. And again, it was the most convincing. I've kind of found the ghost of Hideo Itami uh, this entire tournament so far. So I really enjoyed it. Okada was never giving him that Rainmaker kick out. So maybe I can't complain too much about there not being a big finishing stretch. But yeah, crowd were partisan. Big behind Okada. Big against Kenta, which he kind of leaned into. And yeah, I really enjoyed this one of a I'd rather you're anywhere near me or in the ballpark for it or am I on an island here I'm a good bit lower I'm 3.5 wow um, I well 3.5 is a good match I yeah. mean, 7 out of 10 you know yeah. um, it, it it was a match with flashes of greatness I would say mm. like you said Ben when oh, when Kenta was laying it in like when he was throwing those slaps I was really into this match like you know uh, when he that's the Kent of old. And when he's doing that, I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed... The problem with it, I think, was what I wanted from this match was Kent to come in and be... You know, in in, in Japan, like in New Japan, back, back in the, you know, back in the 90s and 80s, when they do a, a kind of an inter-promotional rivalry, or when an invader would come in, a guy from the outside, mm. and he's disrespectful, and he's a complete dick, and I thought Kenta was that to some extent in the match. You know, he, he mocked Okada, he did the Rainmaker pose, but I never felt he kind of fully committed to it. Like, I feel like he could get that crowd to hate him if he really wanted to. You know mm. what I mean? And I feel like at the moment he's kind of stuck between, I think they clearly wanted him to be a baby face because in his first few matches, like he was shaking guys' hands after matches and his, his introductory pro promo was very much a babyface promo but mm. like the crowd hasn't really warmed to him and, no. and I think they're kind of suspicious of him and if he just turned the volume up on the on the dickishness and if he went all in on being the ass invader heel I think he could be something an awful lot better than he is at the moment I just feel like he's kind of betwixt in between at the moment and mm. um, I, I, I kind of did feel it was too long like it was 27 minutes what I would have liked was a minute match where they just went to war, where Kenta just went in and threw bombs and Okada replied in kind. And I think that would have been a really good match. Um, so for me, as I said, flash, it, 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 for me, the match kind of sums up what is now. Flashes of greatness, but just not putting it all together properly. Mm. Yeah, I think I'll agree with you that he, like the heel stuff definitely needs to lean into that more because this because of that in the match that was probably why i enjoyed them the most here but yeah, yeah uh, my mileage probably went a little bit further than yours but how about you jp where did you land uh pretty much between you two so i went four stars mm. um i enjoyed it I, and i think there's a lot of kenta matches thinking of my ratings throughout this tournament have generally been three and a half to four stars yeah. Yeah, which and i would say for someone who like really at points has been completely written off that's that in and of itself is quite impressive mm -hmm. um yep. sort of halfway through the tournament that he's had that uh, i kind of do 
do see the point of the sort of flashes of greatness. Completely agree that he needs to lean into the heel persona as well. Um, but what is nice to see is there's that element of confidence coming back in. It's quite interesting because you kind of can tell that he seemed really sort of shell-shocked. And that there is a kind of confidence about him in the ring that is still there. I would agree it's gone too long. I think that that, that was the story that they were just wanting to tell, that they wanted to kind of tease the possibility of the draw in there because um, we've not had one in the tournament yet. So it, that's what they wanted to do. But I would agree at 15 minutes, this would have been a, a lot more fun. Mm. Um, so I was never quite into it perhaps as, as, as much as you were, Benno, but I, I was always entertained by it. I, I was, you know, I found myself sort of there's a lot of me sort of really willing Kenta to be kind of better than perhaps he's been necessarily in this tournament mm. but I've been happy with the level that he's been out throughout the tournament mm. and at least it's it feels like for him that this is all part of a much sort of wider career rehabilitation so and hopefully it will give him the confidence to sort of be in New Japan whether they go heel with him kind of depends what are they going to do with this LA dojo stuff? Mm. Uh, like what are they going to do with that as a, as a storyline or faction, you know, how does Goto play into it? It, it? it makes me wonder. That's a question. No one's ever asked. How does Goto play into it? Well, exactly. <laughs> and I'm the person bringing up these difficult questions that others avoid. Yeah. <laughs> That's we'll a three hour podcast. Don't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think with one, I mean, one last thing on Kenta for me is like, I'm still not one of the people who's going to be like, well, Kenta's back now. Because I think I do agree on the flashes of brilliance thing. I think, for me, obviously I enjoyed the master most out of the three of us. But it was that little flash of, of Kenta. I, I, you know, if he doesn't have a match that good the rest of the tournament, I'm not going to be shocked. Because I do <clears> think people are wishing for something that's probably not going to happen full time. But... You know, I'll take a match like that. But again, I also won't argue if you chop ten minutes off it. Uh, you chop ten minutes off any match for me, and I'm I'm definitely uh, happier. Uh, Okada's got this thing as new early. He just has to run down that clock, and it has to go to twenty nine thirty or whatever yeah. it, it ends up being. He can't help himself. Um, yeah, I'll always take a fifteen minute G one match over anything else. But that kind of nicely ties into the last night we're going to talk about the uh, B blocks uh, night ten. Uh, opened up with Yano and Goto. And it lasted, what, a minute? Absolutely fine with it. Goto won with a weird figure four roll-up. I didn't need it to be any longer than that. Um, That'll do. No one needs to go back and watch it. Let's move on to the more important stuff. Two and a half on the Yano scale? Two. Just having a look, two. Two, fair enough. The Yano scale, we'll never, never, you're never going less than two, you're never going higher than three. That's what we've learned today. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was a thing. Ishii and Juice, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I kind of thought that, you know, Juice Robinson is somebody who I'm kind of hot and cold on uh, as far as having, you know, the potential to be a a big-time player down down the stretch. I do think, you know, they maybe went a little bit heavy on, you know, some of the strong style stuff while I enjoyed seeing Juice Robinson get his throat chopped and seeing them go back and forth with headbutts and then Juice get his own back with a throat chopped later. I think they maybe went a little bit too hard on the the no-shell exchanges towards the end uh, and the big kickouts. I don't know if Ishii and, and Juice Robinson is the match for that, especially if being second on the card, kind of an, an odd placement to be going to kind of that, that big stuff. But all in all, I enjoyed it. Still went uh, 3.75 on Grapple. Don't know about you two. I love this. I went 4.25 on this. Um, 
I found myself really, really enjoying it. Um, possibly for a lot of the reasons that you've, you've just kind of said. There's this, like, it's an interesting one when you think of the people who've kind of really improved throughout the tournament. I suppose Ishii is kind of at the level you expect him to be. But Juice, for me, has, has really sort of stepped it up in terms of what he's doing. He's not, he doesn't have perhaps the consistency that others have had tournament but when he's been on he's been really on and i'm expecting that big things out of that moxley match uh at the very end as well um yeah i i, I found myself entirely with it and perhaps considering the matches kind of sandwiched between it it for me i i just sort of was completely gone with it as well even with the dueling is in there and yeah and also i think as well i i'd have pretty decent day on this in the pickums as well so yeah i i really enjoyed it what about you jamesy i split the difference between you guys again i went four on it um it was a gloriously stupid match is yes. the way i describe it, yes. like it, 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 it you know the, the critical yes. part of your oh, head is yeah. saying the critical part of your brain is saying this is ridiculous like there's just too many no selling spots mm-hmm. the chop exchanges are going too long the way I would describe it is it's like when you decide to go to the cinema and you're tired and you just want to switch your brain off and you just go and see a nonsense blockbuster movie or <laughs> a crappy comedy movie. You know, that kind of thing where, where you know it's not the type of movie you want to see all the time, but there's a time and a place for it. And as you said, JP, stuck between two pretty mediocre matches. I was quite happy with this match. I wouldn't like this to become the norm in New Japan. And that's always mm. the danger with praising matches like this, that it becomes something that people aspire to and that younger wrestlers watch and they think this is what all matches should be because it shouldn't be. You know, as I said, like I will always gravitate towards the match I described earlier with Mox and Shingo with, with the nuance in it and the limb selling and that kind of thing. That's more the kind of wrestling I'm into. But I did enjoy this. It was, you know, a, a silly match not like every match in New Japan is like this like they went way too far mm. but what I think it did a good job of was like Juice is trying to get over this persona that he's he's more serious he's more physical he's taking things more seriously and I think this was kind of like his coming out party in that persona in a way like he was doing an awful lot more, more physical stuff he was doing an awful lot more of the no selling this fighting spirit stuff so yeah as I said a match that is fine on its own and on an island I'll give it four stars but I couldn't go any higher than that either you know yeah I think that's fair um, yeah one of those man, it, it felt a little bit like I watched the um, you watched as well didn't you JP the uh, Michael Elgin and Brian Cage match from that last impact pay-per-view where, yeah like, like the rational part of my brain was like, this is ridiculous. They're killing each other. It's two stars. <laughs> and then the idiot side of me was just having a great time. Like, you know, what? actually, maybe it's a four star match. I'm really enjoying them. Just throwing each other all around the ring and landing on each other's heads. It, it's kind of hard yeah, to split the difference on a match like that, where it is, again, those different parts of your brain fighting against each other. But definitely enjoyed it. Grapple rate was 4.38. So it, it definitely resonated on yeah, It was, uh, again, as you said, sandwiched between crap because it was followed by Jeff Cobb and Tai Chi this was the ultimate test of are we skipping matches in the G1 yet JP I still watched it (laughs) but I was so tempted to skip through it at least Cobb showed a little bit of fire in this one he went over it was a match Uh, I haven't got a huge amount to say Uh, two wrestlers that yeah if if they went away and if this match just didn't make the VOD I wouldn't be crying about it yeah I also didn't like it It was the one match that my um 
my pickums oh. as well. So I was d- doubly pissed off on that. Oh, for fuck's sakes. So yeah, yeah, we, we've spoken about. We haven't mentioned as much about Taiki. Who I have to say, I, I've been kind of wanting to see that bit more from. Really, I'm trying to think of one really decent match he had so far. Was it Shingo? Mm. Yeah, it was, it was Shingo. Shingo was good, but outside of that, like there's any progression. Although, again, inexplicably, the crowd love him. It's yeah. it's a it's a strange one. Yeah, if you didn't see this, you don't need to see. It. Yeah, not yeah, one for us. Kind of move on, really. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, what did I go for it? I think I might have gone two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. Solid two and a half. Um, yeah, I, I gave it. I don't know why, to be honest, but gentlemen's three. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If in doubt, and, and, and as you said, a, a little bit of fire from Cobb. The most fire he's shown so far, maybe I would say. There Not a whole lot, but a little bit more. <laughs> Enough yeah. to give it another half star. I think that's fair. <laughs> oh, I'm probably so proud of him that I gave him another half star. Exactly. <laughs> fair enough. So yeah, that was a match followed up by Jay White and Shingo. Uh, a match I, I really enjoyed, if if not one that you know I'm going to be raving about and going back and watching. Uh, I do think, mm. as we said earlier, Jay White's doing good character work in this, if not amazing. Uh, I think the the Gado interference gets a little bit too much, but I did enjoy the uh, the near falls down yeah. the stretch, and you know I I always enjoy watching Shingo uh, in this tournament. So all in all, solid for me. Yes. 3.75. Same, um, exactly the same. It, 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 it was fine as a semi-main event, really. But like you as well, I think at this point I was starting to get really... Edo stuff was very... Just sort of played in such an like silly way mm. and sort of so over-exaggerated as well at this point and I found it kind of like tiresome at this point. I want Jay White to be the kind of... Like that kind of dickish heel who's also incredibly smart and knowing about exactly. how how to cut corners and not having the ghetto figure there for that. And maybe if he has a bad G one, that's the next stage to do with the character. He tells ghetto, you go to the back. But that's that for me is the thing that that is kind of missing from Jay White. Mm. That's exactly it, JP. And uh, I he was going to do that. Remember, he went zero and three. I thought when he when he, when he yeah. went down so much, I thought that was the point where he was going to send ghetto to the back. And he was going to really become this cerebral, you know, conniving genius almost. You know what I mean? Mm. Because he has it in him. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the, the Tanahashi match from the Best of Super Juniors final. Mm. Um, like, to me, that was maybe yeah. my favorite Jay White match of the year. Remember, he went after Tanahashi, was just back from the arm injury. And he completely attacked Tanahashi's arm. And yes. he just felt like this evil genius who, who had a game plan, executed it brilliantly. I got the big win because of it. You know what I mean? And that's what I want Jay White, you know what I mean. That's what I think is his his kind of final form, almost in New Japan. And as you said, JP, like he's doing that kind of stuff. And then you have Gato on the outside, who, who's very comical, like, and he's he's mm. he's almost tongue in cheek, you know, like, like Shingo decks him in this match, and he does a kind of a comical sell on it, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, you it, can it, hear him just going, "Oh no!" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's completely contradictory yeah. to, to, to 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 White, you know what I mean? I think if you took Gato away from him, White would be an awful lot better off at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Gado and Jado, to be honest, get them away from the ball club in general. <laughs> yeah. They've not been highlights of uh, of this tournament. He's a good. Know. He, he can keep his job on the booking committee. That's busy enough, isn't it? For Christ's yeah, sakes. Yeah. Imagine the spreadsheet he has to develop for this. <laughs> yeah, he's not too bad Good at job that. job doing that every year. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Uh, we then had our main events, uh, Naito and Moxley. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think 
it was one of those matches where I think people were a little bit split just based on the high amount of kind of there was a lot of goofy stuff in this there was a lot of um, mm. the goofy side of Moxley that he should have never shown Vince McMahon that he's got because they just ran with it uh, for his entire run uh, but I kind of enjoyed you know the laying down for each other refusing to get in the ring Moxley Nick and Naito's moves you know Naito himself playing mind games with you know doing the same and the slow undress at the start of the match and you know once mm. they did get going you know with the big moves with that great Moxley Lariat counter to the Destino he did that uh, that mm. front DDT he used to use as a finish that he nicked from Dragon Isu. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot I'll always love the, uh, the elevated Death Rider so I like that as a finish I like that they've gotten really strong behind Moxley a little bit worried about Naito at this point but uh, they're, they're, they're all in on Moxley another different match to the other Moxley match we talked about earlier and for me a solid four stars even if I had a little bit of issue with some of the comedy all in all I thought it was a was a good time um, how do you go higher or lower? Slightly lower three and a half yeah, um, again solid good match you know um, what I liked about was that it was a contrast of two different temperaments like you had the hothead of, of Moxley like who can't wait to get going and of course you have Naito doing his best Larry Zabisco impression in and out of the ring as much as he could stalling delaying anything he could to wind up Mox but I, I found the structure of the match really strange like, like I don't know if it's just me but Moxley basically dominated the whole match like mm. they had that He's kind of brawling that. sequence on the out yeah but but I mean Tetsuya Naito like one of the top guys in the company you know True. what I mean it it it, it, it you know, and, and fair enough, if they're all in on Moxley, that's no problem. But it fooled me because I was watching the match and Moxley was dominating and Naito was kind of working from underneath. And the usual thing that happens in wrestling when that's happening is the baby face melts to come back and wins the match. You know what I mean? But instead of that, Moxley just dominated all the strike exchanges, had counters. Like you said, Benno, that Larius that he hit, like where he completely turned Naito inside out, was amazing. Mm. Killed him with it. Great bump that Naito took on it as well. Um, and then instead of the comeback, Moxley just hit his DDT, kick out, hit his finisher, game over. You know, just just very decisive, like and real eye opener as to how they see Moxley. Like, and maybe we shouldn't be surprised when when a, when a recent WWE champion comes into New Japan. Maybe if maybe we shouldn't be surprised that they're pushing him so much. You know mm. what I mean? Like it's it's but it's it is big. Like and like I haven't seen them go this all in on someone in a G one in a long long time. You know, right. and and the other thing was the did you see the the post match promo with Moxley and Umino? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Mox and Shooter, the greatest double act. In oh. He's a real panty dropper. What a line. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Their dynamic is amazing. I'd love if Moxley could bring Uno like just around the world with him on excursion and oh. bring him to AEW and that because the dynamic they have together is fantastic. Like it's just brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mentioned skipping a lot of like the undercard tags, but it's their stuff that I'm like, oh, I wish I watched that. Like if I'm skipping through yeah. and I, I just yeah. happen across that match, I'll maybe leave it on for five minutes just because I like you know the little dynamic that they got. The great stuff and uh, yeah. What, what did you make on this one, JP? Uh, would you would you split the difference or higher or lower than uh, me or Jamesy? Four stars. Yep. I enjoyed it. And I think part of it was just that visual of thinking, God, if you told me a year ago, the last G1, you'd be seeing Tetsuya Naito versus what was then Dean Ambrose in a new Japan ring in the G1. It just sort of hit me as like, this is fucking wild. And not only is that, but like Moxley is, is killing it. I, it. Not necessarily a great match. Again, I've kind of sort of 
said what I'm hoping ends up happening with with Naito to a degree where he just gets inspired to have sort of take it a lot more seriously and and sort of this is the last point where he does a lot of his sort of obvious delaying tactics that he's been doing. I was also surprised because I, I agree with you. Moxley kind of dominated at, at, at points. It felt very decisive, which is so unusual from, you know, seeing how uh, booking, particularly in the West, happens that you're putting over someone as strong as this. And it creates a lot of talking points. And I'm looking at the B block standings on here now. And you've got Moxley at 10 points, 5 and 0. Oh. Then four points behind on six, you've got Juice and Ishii. And then you've got everybody else on four points. Mm. And it's, if nothing else, we were all, you know, I think there was a lot of people who were saying, well, this B block's going to be a bit boring. It seems obvious. We're just building up to really Naito White for who's going to go through because that's their guys. And instead we've got this, which if for no other reason, it's like there's going to be real consequences for the rest of the matches in that block because there's going to be lots of people who are going to be falling away. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. At time of recording, we've got one for tomorrow, haven't we? That's right, yeah. There's four shows this yeah, week, it so uh, it could all change. But, yeah, I think yeah. I think Moxley's almost certainly going to slip up to Yano. I think that, that I've, yeah. got that, I've got that in my pickums, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that Juice. that's at least one that I get right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And if he loses them too, then at least someone can catch him at that point. Maybe that's the the way it goes. Because as much as I see him doing well, I don't see him being in the final. Although, we're out of the, are you convinced of that now, Jamesy? I I wouldn't have said it before the tournament, but like, like I'm it is hard mathematically now. Yeah, yeah. If if Mox wins another match, he's four matches left. If he wins even one of those, Naito is gone. Completely, mm. he can't catch him anymore. Naito, yeah. you know, and you'd imagine they would like Naito to be alive on the final night because it's Naito mm. against White. Mm. So for that to happen, you basically that's in need the main Mox. as well, isn't it? Yeah, you need Mox to lose his next three for that to happen. And is that going to happen? You know, like it's mm. it's as you said, like the B block was the inferior block on paper, but it's it's incredibly intriguing what happens now. You know what I mean? Like mm. um, to think that Naito could be gone with one more win for Mox is, is crazy like you know uh, but it does kind of the suspicious part of my mind is everybody thought Naito would win the block and now they've convinced him he isn't so like convinced us that he isn't so maybe mm. he is actually going to win the block mm. after all but they've just kind of brought us down the road of not believing it anymore you know what I mean <laughs> which again is great booking and I mean Gato and his spreadsheet all credit to him like he, he puts <laughs> this thing together he puts <laughs> the thing together every year and every year it's a different scenario you know so mm. yeah Great stuff. And I do think the booking has been tremendous in both blocks, actually. I think they've kept it really interesting and they've kind of, you know, they've led you away from the things you thought were going to happen before the tournament, which is really good. Yeah, that's it. And that, they, they kind of kept us all on our toes and some of us more than others as well, Jamesy, because I'm looking at these uh, these C-block standings stand yeah. on post-wrestling. Well. You're in <laughs> just behind Davy Portman on 32 points on the Pickhams, and I'm way down just above Davy Portman's girlfriend on 26 points. Just it's not going well, Jamesy. My uh, what happened then? I, th- I still think I'm going to be right about my Okada prediction. I still think he's going the whole I, way, well, but maybe it's, it's just it's a B block. Most likely an A block now, yeah. Mm, but yeah, that B block I've just got it wrong at every single step, and just watch Moxley. Uh, Beat Yano, um, it's coming. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I think. I think next year I'm going to need to go back to the drawing board. Are you doing any better on voices, JP? Well, I was going to say one one point. John and Way did bring up the point about the C block standings today. Uh, well, not today. Uh, the last time they done one of their one of the post shows, and he did mention that the battle to look out for is you versus Rando Bot. That's that's <laughs> really the one. 
the one you've got to keep oh, your gotta eyes beat on. Rando it's, it's quite oh. congested. Um, on, I'm doing okay. I've had like a good week where I've gotten, I, I want to say about uh, 13 out of the last 15 or something wow. on those, like those, like those, um, in these last few shows. So I'm up to sort of joint 50. I want to say joint 53rd. I think it is. Um, on there at the moment, I've sort of gone up. Um, I'm on 32 points as well. Uh, no, I'm on 34 points. And it's six off the lead, which is on 40 as well. Yeah, so doing all right on that so far. Um, and then I think Gareth is on, I think he's joint 110th, I think, along with Sam, um, Joe's brother as well. So, yeah, yeah. And I think Suit Williams is on... Um, I think he's on 34 as well at the same time. So oh. I've got an interested, but again, and I'm going to bang, beat the drum about this. Imagine 16 grand on this fucker for the second <laughs> half, eh? We wouldn't be talking to each other now. Uh, that's oh, it. absolutely. Wouldn't I? Oh, just imagine how much you'd kick off. Just imagine <laughs> if they put like Ishii, Ishii or Juice in the final, oh. which in and of itself isn't a bad idea because you don't burn a big money match and you get the reaction from the crowd. No. Yeah. You'd, you'd be around Gato's house kicking off if that happened. Yeah. Oh, mate, you would be. Like, <laughs> you just spend the rest of rest of the year saving up money to just confront them at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, that's it. You know, Gato, Gato would enter. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, that's it. Take all the money. Him, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Big yeah. heel. <laughs> no, I could see just Jado pipping him at the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's the real battle to watch out for anyway. That's the real league table. Uh, I'm still confident I can pull it back, JP, but yeah, uh, without the money to play for, the uh, the motivation isn't quite there. But we'll get our grapple game going next year, JP, and we'll. You've uh, had a good week in voices. You're up into the 600s, mate. Or no, it might be the, the high 500s at this stage. <laughs> so uh, you keep believing, all right? <laughs> Then you give up hope. Only halfway. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I appreciate that you've got a, a, at least a bit of hope for me. Uh, but I think it's like a fifteen hundred race. You're, you're catching the gap. The pacemaker's gone. You yeah. know. I'm glad someone you're, believes you... me. Exactly. I'm there. <laughs> uh, anything more, lads? On the on the G1? On uh, any Irish stuff you want to talk? Um, you know, we could talk the uh, Anything going on the uh, the the Irish stuff folder on the uh, on the JP Drive? Uh, there is there is there is a uh, uh, cricket World Cup highlights mm. uh, as Will Cooling suggested for that as well, and and the Sunday game. I'm um, not watching cricket. I I get why. That's fine. No way. No, <laughs> that's the step too far. Um, that's, although that's too much Ireland in the cricket. For two days, look like they're going to be England at Lords in the Test match, which is pretty fucking mental. It didn't wow. happen in the end. They bottled As, it badly, didn't they? Well, I hate to say it. There's a there's a there's a long history of Ireland and international sports having <laughs> from the jaws of victory a cruel defeat comes out. Heroic, heroic defeat. Yep, I do. Yeah, going back to rugby World Cups against Australia in the last minute and the rest of it. Um, so yeah. There's that, but I would keep an eye out this week for a couple of good League of Ireland and Europe games. Dundalk away at Karabag and Azerbaijan <laughs> and Chabot Rovers away at Apollon Limassol. Cracking first game. Jack Byrne, great player. That's it. I'm nothing more Irish to give. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disgusted because they threw Waterford out of Europe. Waterford qualified last year for Europe, but then the, the, the stadium wasn't up to scratch, so they let Pats in instead. No, no, no. It was to do with the fact it was a business that had closed down. Oh, and sorry, the old you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
and old John Delaney, one of Waterford's finest, uh, very dodgy FAI, ex-FAI uh, <laughs> chairman. It was like he was going to sort it out for them in, in classic <laughs> FAI style. And then they got the brown envelope. Yeah. <laughs> Benno, you must be utterly confused by this section. I'm just enjoying <laughs> your school and Jamesy on Irish stuff. JP, you've done your research. <laughs> no, no. Waterford stuff. <laughs> oh, mate, it's, got, it's got a niche, this show, to a level where I didn't envisage it ever being. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Well, Jamesy, it's been fun, haven't you? We've almost gone three hours, so it must have been fun. Uh, <laughs> that's it. It was great, lad. Thanks a million. I had a great time all together. Oh, you... oh, absolute pleasure. Oh, always good to have you on. Have you got anything to plug? Or are you in the uh, the last issue of Fighting Spirit, Mag? Um, I'd have a, I have a review of the of the OTT Contender show, actually. It'll be in that, yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it. My Twitter is at Jamesy underscore 2015. But yeah, that's about it, really, for now. Awesome. Uh, you can follow JP at JPJP. Follow me at Benson Richard E. JP, you're heading to Liverpool on Thursday. We're going to go to TNT. Yes. We're going to go. We are going to do the ferry across the Mersey. We're going to go to see a tramway game. Uh, Andy Ogden's coming with us. He's uh, yeah because the play of Rochdale, oh so that'll God. be fun. We're watching Triple Mania live, and then we're going to Future Shock on Sunday. What a weekend, JP. Uh, also, oh, oh yeah, couple couple of other things. I'm hoping we can fit in London Rampage, star oh. uh, Greg Burridge film. <laughs> With uh, Will Ospreay <laughs> and Jimmy Havoc, that's on Amazon Prime. Oh, I've seen the first two minutes. I'm saying nothing other than I had to stop it and then go. I can't watch this. I need to be watching this with other people. <laughs> so, so saving up for pre-triple mania warm-up potentially. And go. on Friday daytime, I'm doing the the Jeff Jarrett tour of Liverpool. Wow, thing as well. That's what I'm going to do. Exact same pose outside the Beatles Museum. You'd well, love it. Well, yeah, tune in next week. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll give you the review of the uh, the Jeff Jarrett tour of Liverpool. We'll give you what's it called? London's burning. London. London. London rampage. London rampage. We'll be talking London rampage. We'll be talking TNT, mm. Future Shock, and we'll do our catch up of the the four G one shows. Expect us to go four hours next week, guys. It's a uh, it's very oh, likely. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we'll get out of here, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Good on, lad. <laughs> but did it really matter anyway For that was yesterday And we must live for now Cause